right, welcome back everybody to the Film Cafeteria. I'm Scott. And I'm Brittany. And today we are talking about horror movies. It's yes. kind of the obligatory October episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I guess, uh, I don't know, for me this was kind of like the episode that I was kind of like, okay, because I spent, uh, I don't know, like it was a, um, I spent like most of the summer filling in all of my horror movie gaps. So, it makes me wonder though. So what made you spend that time kind of filling in that space? It was a mixture of things. There was there was uh, something that I was writing mm-hmm. that kind of prompted it. Okay. And then once I got into it, it became more of like an academic obsession okay. almost. Where it was just so like... So study. It's just like study. Yep. Just like really making sure that I really understood the certain things about the genre and certain periods of time and, Mm -hmm. and just an excitement about that. And it was just one of those things that I had always done in starts and in spurts, but then I would get kind of tired of it. I would go off to something because, you know, like with anything, sometimes you get burned out on, on something and you're just kind of like, okay. Yeah. I was, I was like watching like a director's filmography and then I got kind of burnt out on it and I ran over to, you know, watch, I don't know, like Westerns or whatever it was. So with this, it was kind of like, I wanted to finally fill in all of what I felt were my big gaps. Okay. Okay. So I spent a while watching nothing but horror movies and now we're in October when you're supposed to be the most excited about watching horror movies and I could care less yeah. about watching <laughs> horror movies yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, but I guess like we'll start with some recommendations. Mm-hmm. I wrote down a few, and these are just movies that I had hit on while I was watching all that stuff. Okay. And then some of them are ones that we've hit on together, too. Mm-hmm. And then if you have anything in between, we can talk about that mm-hmm. also. But... I kind of divide it into like little like silly little categories. So we have like ghostly scares. Okay. And a movie I'm recommending is a movie called Next of Kin from 1982 directed by Tony Williams. It's an Australian horror movie. This is one of those movies that I was very surprised by. The film itself is very kind of slow. Yeah. And it's sort of a slow build about like, you know, a a situation of yeah. something supernatural that you're not sure what it is until kind of the very end mm-hmm. occurring inside of a nursing home. Yeah. And you're just kind of like waiting away. And if for such a short movie, because yeah. I think this movie is only like 80 minutes or something. It's oh, really, really short. Okay. But for such a short movie, it's very slow paced, okay. but not in a bad way. Kind of in a way that starts to infuriate you, like it puts you into the claustrophobia of the house. Oh wow! You're just ready to get out of that house, mm-hmm. and it it takes its time developing its characters and everything. When it gets to the end, its end is just kind of like a crescendo yeah. of like five straight minutes of insanity. Yeah, that ends in one of the most beautiful closing shots of any of these films I'm going to mention. Uh, the next one I would mention, so a lot of people, it seems like these days really love kind of folk horror. So a movie I'll recommend for that one is a movie called Don't Torture a Duckling. It's directed by Lucio Fulci from 1972. Um, that's just one of those movies that like, it's actually, I'll kind of put two of these together mm-hmm. and say that one. And then for mystery slasher, I had a movie called Four Flies on Gray Velvet, uh, from 1971 directed by Dario Argento. 
two Italian giallo horror films mm-hmm. that in my opinion it's best just to go in completely mm-hmm. without any knowledge of what it is and then read about them after. Got you. Walking into these two movies blind is very beneficial, but I think one thing that when people walk into a lot of giallo movies, they're sort of confused by why they're so theatrical because mm-hmm. they're not like, you know, like even like American horror movies by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. Like yeah. the sound doesn't sync up, mm-hmm. like in terms of the dialogue, everybody's dubbed. Nothing really, everything just feels a little odd. I mean, you've seen Suspiria with oh, me yeah. before. Yeah. Everything just feels a little off. And Suspiria, of course, is one of the better mm-hmm. of that kind of genre. Um, but that's, that's a really, really kind of like fun kind of, kind of double feature to do. I mean, I guess fun. They're both very, very dark movies, but, um, if you like, I mean, if you like those things, that's why I was like, if you like horror movies, that's a good double feature to do. And it's good to just, I think both of them are on Tubi. It's good just to walk in, not knowing anything about them and then just experience it and then read about it after. Yeah. Uh, for classy scares, kind of like a classier kind of... This isn't really necessarily a horror movie. This is more of like a like a thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Seance on a Wet Afternoon, 1964, directed by Brian Forbes. Um, this movie is one of those movies that you can tell somebody the synopsis and it still doesn't ruin the movie. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And this movie is about a woman who claims that she's a medium and kidnaps a kid. Okay. And then tells the police that she's having visions that can lead them to the kid she's kidnapped. Oh, wow. That's the movie. Yeah. And the way that it unfolds is so bizarre. Yeah. And it's it's just like a... It's a movie that I think has had like kind of divided reception over the years. But yeah. it's one that I enjoyed. Okay. Um, for international, this is kind of when I got into something that's a little bit more kind of niche. Um, Shogun's Joy of Torture, 1968 by Turo this is a, there is a period in Japanese cinema in which um, uh, a few Japanese directors decided to kind of, uh, kind of like meld the erotic film with the horror film. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of this odd period of Japanese cinema that was pretty interesting. And this was one of those movies I saw and I was just like, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. It's not even necessarily that I have an opinion that it's good or bad. Yeah. I've just never seen anything else quite like it. And it's a very, very disturbing movie, but also a very interesting yeah. watch. Um, Six Senses of Humor, I have Basket Case, 1982, directed by uh, Brian Henenwater. I feel like most people who would actually listen to a podcast revolving around horror movies have probably seen this movie. Okay. Uh, Wet Terror put in a movie that me and you just watched recently that I finally got to see that I've been waiting to watch forever. Yeah. Underwater from 2020, directed by William Eubank. Man. (laughs) (laughs) That one was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That is, um, that is one of my favorite movies that I have seen this year. Yeah. Like, even though I know it's not from this year, I know yeah, it's, it's a couple of years old. Yeah. I didn't even really realize until recently looking it up that the movie was actually finished in 2017. Oh, it was? And then just sat on a shelf. Wow. Nobody quite knew what to deal with, do with it. I think the TJ Miller stuff made it even more difficult to get it out there. Yeah. And then in 2020... A lot of people attribute the pandemic to why it didn't do well. Okay. It actually came out pre-lockdown. Oh, okay. It came out in January during that dead time mm-hmm. of the year. 
And it was just one of those movies that, like, I it just completely flew under my radar. Yeah. By the time I found out about it, it was through the internet, and it was one of those things where I was like, I didn't necessarily want to pay to rent it because I was like, it might be one of those movies that everybody else is talking about that I'm gonna hate. Yeah, that yeah, because usually it does happen like that a lot. Yeah. Sometimes like the movies that everybody else find most interesting, you're in them like, why? Yeah. But this was the one that was actually now when you look back on it, I'm like, it was worth taking over because it, it was good. It really was, and the the one reason I didn't want to watch it is because the trailer sells it as alien underwater. Okay. And then we start watching the movie, and the movie does not shy away from the fact that it is alien underwater. Yeah. That being said, what they do with that is like listening to a great cover song. Yeah, yeah. It's like listening to a cover song where you almost don't even recognize that it is yeah. a cover song. Yeah. And that, to me, was amazing. It was yeah. kind of like its own variation of it. It kind of like it kind of reminded me, there's a really good Bob Dylan song, and I'm blanking on the title. Yeah. But it is essentially him redoing Manish Boy. Oh, okay. And, and I'll actually play it for you after this. Yeah, and, and then, I want to um, hear that. <laughs> I, let me see if I can find the title. It, it is a uh, essentially what he does is he takes Manish Boy as like in terms of just the music. Yeah, and then he completely redoes all of the lyrics. Wow. Okay. And so you're listening to it, going, "I know this rhythm. Yeah. I know the cadence, even like the cadence of this rhythm. Yeah." But it's not the same song at all. Yeah. That's how I felt about Underwater. Yeah. I'm sitting there listening, watching Underwater, and I felt like I know the cadence of everything that you're doing. Yeah. But I don't... Okay, it's uh, uh, Early Roman Kings oh, is okay. the name of the song, and it's off of the album Tempest. Okay. Um, if there are any Bob Dylan fans out there, yeah. you want to check that out. <laughs> but it's... Uh, that's how I felt about Underwater. Yeah. It was like, this is a tremendous variation of something that we've seen a hundred times before. Yeah. Um, I guess I actually didn't put sci-fi horror in here at all, but like, that would probably be my yeah, recommendation. Yeah, fall under, yeah, that. Yeah. And, and also that would probably be, since we have wet terror for Underwater, I would, if somebody's looking for a good sci-fi horror movie to watch, go back and watch the original Alien. Yeah. Always worth that watching. Too. Yeah, you're right. I will tell you that I have not enjoyed watching that movie as much ever since we saw it in theaters together. Oh, okay. Because the theater experience just made it It like, was so yeah. great and it reminded me why the movie is so yeah. scary. Mm -hmm. I can watch it now and just enjoy the editing, the rhythm, what Ridley Scott's doing with it. But watching it in a theater and remembering what made it scary, like the first time that I saw it, was <laughs> like, you can't beat that. No, you can't. You can't beat the theatrical experience when things like that. No, not yeah. at all. Um, for, I, I put like kind of heady fear. This is kind of a movie that just sort of is like more, a like psychological, bit, a little more psychological yeah. is a movie called Possum from 2018 directed by Matthew Holness. It stars, um, Sean Harris. Okay. And it's essentially a one man show. Oh, it is a very deeply disturbing movie. Yeah. It is one of those rare, it is actually one of the rare times that I would recommend if somebody watches the movie, to find a way to watch it with headphones. Mm. It, there is something... So when I saw it, I watched it on TV, but I watched, I streamed it through my PlayStation. Mm -hmm. So I plugged in my headphones that I used for my PlayStation mm -hmm. and watched it that way. And the sound design in that movie is very exceptional. Oh. And so there is... When you hear the sound and it's kind of like going into your ear, it makes you kind of 
more kind of one with that character. Yeah. To where all of a sudden you're really... The movie already goes through great pains to put you inside of his head. Yeah. Having the sound fed directly into your ears makes you even more inside of his head. And it becomes even more terrifying. Okay. Uh, classic scares, because you got to throw in a classic movie. Uh, I, I have The Old Dark House, 1932, directed by James Whale. This is one of the easiest horror movies to find that is so much fun. Yeah. It's actually, even if you go back and watch House of a Thousand Corpses, you remember how he kept cutting in old horror movies mm -hmm. in little sections? Um, there's a part where one of the characters, they cut to an old horror movie, and his character turns around and says, wouldn't it be something frightful if all the bodies in the house just woke up and came back to life? That's from The Old Dark House. Got you. Fantastic little movie <laughs> and deeply underseen and underappreciated. Um, and then I just put down a personal recommendation. So kind of a movie that has been on my list forever in a day that I just never got around to watching and finally got around to watching was Mandy. Yeah. 2018, directed by Panos Cosmatos, who also did Beyond the Black Rainbow. It starred Nicolas Cage, uh, uh, Andrea Riceboro, who of course was recently a uh, big conversation for the Oscar. Not the bad part of the conversation, but <laughs> the actual good part about her performance. Linus Roche and um, Richard Brake and Bill Duke okay. were all in the movie. Awesome. And that is just um, one of those movies that is a true ride yeah. from beginning to end. That was a very psychedelic journey, mm -hmm. very intense journey, mm -hmm. and one that I'm very glad that I finally went on with that director because okay. I, it was just a movie that I really, really enjoyed. It is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. It is extremely violent. Mm -hmm. It is uh, uh, really kind of pushes the limits of what uh, you can take as like a, a horror person. He has a, a lover of horror movies. Um, but it was definitely like one of the best told movie like the story that it tells i was so engaged in okay. so i really really love that that's awesome do you have any that you would throw into the recommendation pool no yeah. because you know i just it's not too many that i watch nowadays yeah. yeah my focus used to be on like yeah horror films and things yeah. but now lately in the in the last like couple of years it's just yeah it's just one out of my, like, even thought process of that's what I want to watch. Yeah. So I don't really have a recommendation for things like that. You but. know, it's it's very interesting because horror is, to me, one of the most interesting genres because I think we talked about some musicals. Mm -hmm. It is one of the genres that I think is the most appealing in the sense of it being purely cinematic. Yeah. Horror movies, the way in which they are designed and constructed are... If you strip them away a lot of times, quite uninteresting. Yeah. And the, they are all about the mechanics of what you can do with a camera yeah. and with special effects yeah. and with lighting and with all these. The same way that a musical, mm -hmm. if you really, really strip it down, if the song and dance don't work, it's the same thing as your monster not working in your horror mm -hmm. movie. You're right. It is strictly mechanical. And I feel like for some people, they kind of you know, wind up leaning more into musicals at certain points in their life and, and other people kind of lean more into horror. And I feel like those, those two genres are great for people that love cinema Yeah, because they're, they sort of are like the most kind of technically oriented genres. Oh that exist. yes. And I, I'm more toward like the musical yeah. side of everything, but there was a point where I did just, yeah, like I loved Horror. Like I like I had to like see everything that came out on yeah, it, like at yeah. one point and now I 
you know. Yeah. Now for me, it's like I just don't. Yeah. I don't care. Like it's yeah. it's just like whatever because like my mind is on just like everything else now. Yeah. And I love like amazing stories about like people being told yeah. and things like that. Yep. So it kind of leans away because like you said sometimes because it's strictly mechanical yeah sometimes horror can lean away from knowing about people yeah it can yeah so it's like you do but it's almost like you're just seeing their biggest fear yeah which we yeah. all have to some yeah. degree and it's very interesting don't get me wrong is, because yeah. i think seeing somebody's fear and seeing how they react to that fear yeah. is very interesting. I mean, it reels you in. It does. I, but um, I just think, like, I know, I don't know, I'm looking for such a different perspective in life and how movie yeah. stories are being told now that, yeah. like, yeah, I tend to lean more away from, like, horror now. And I also think that it is worth noting that in terms of contemporary horror, I definitely feel like people do not deal as much with what really scares them anymore. Yeah. And a lot of times when they do, those movies are not very interesting. Yeah. Because um, like you said, most times now it's about the effect. It is. Like the scare tactic yeah. or effect more about than what's creating yeah. that atmosphere for the people that surround it. Like yeah. I, I care more about that part of it yeah. than I do about the actual effects of like what scares you. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And that's why a lot of times I like the older movies. Yeah. That's why, you know, when I look at my list, I'm like, everything is from the 60s, 70s and 80s. Yeah. With the exception of a couple of things I was yeah. just very impressed with. Mm -hmm. And I, for me, I tend to, I think that's one of the reasons why this episode specifically has we're going to cover two movies that are just rewatch movies for us we tend to mm -hmm. put them on whenever we're in the mood for something mm -hmm. scary one of them is one of my all-time favorite movies and then the other one is a movie that we've just rewatched a lot yeah and i will say that like it, it was very funny to me that when we actually did this we decided to go in a completely different direction with the rest of it mm -hmm. and talk about movies that are in no way, shape, or form mm -hmm. contemporary. Mm -hmm. the, but yet at the same time, our reaction, our verbal reaction to these movies <laughs> is the same that most would have to a lot of contemporaneous horror movies. Yeah. I am just very uninterested at this point in most of what people are doing now because I don't really feel like enough people make movies about what really scares them anymore. Yeah. Feel like people are more interested, and sometimes in, it's about going deeper than just like the jump scares. Yep. Because I think sometimes things that are like a little more uh, thought provoking. Yep. Could be the the inner things that scare you versus yeah. the jump scares. And for me, like the one of the reasons why I love horror movies is because they allow you to experience a lot of that stuff in a safe from a safe distance. Yeah. So it's like if you're somebody who can handle watching a horror movie. It allows you to, from a very safe distance, deal with catharsis. Yeah. And that's something that I just really, really appreciate. Okay. And I am able to kind of deal with all that stuff and really enjoy it and, and have like a way to very safely deal with, you know, things that scare me. Yeah. But like, I feel like a lot of movies now don't actually jump as deeply into that as they could. No, they don't. It's always mostly to me about what you can see with your eyes. Yeah. But sometimes it's like deeper. Yeah. And sometimes the things you see with your eyes can like have a lasting impression. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I mean, it depends on your, just your taste and everything. Yep. I also, you know, yep. I think it's very subjective. I don't think it's objective at all. Absolutely. So now that brings us to 
talking about our two horror movies. Yeah. That subjectively we both really liked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our first movie that we have to talk about is The Conjuring. Yes. From 2013, directed by James Wan, written by Chad Hayes and Corey W. Hayes. Uh, two twin brother writers. Uh, Vera Farmiga, it stars Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, Lily Taylor, Joey King, Mackenzie Foy, and of course Ron Livingston. Um, I think we saw this in the theater the first time that we saw it, right? Yeah, I think so. It yeah, was, we actually did. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I actually uh, distinctly remember walking out of the theater and somebody hiding around a corner trying to scare everybody who's walking back to their cars oh. and it was just like why, why? yeah what is the point yeah of this? and like kind of i think like it was probably like the most the biggest letdown for that individual that an entire crowd of people just walked around them yeah right after they popped out yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but this is one that we've kind of gone back to like every once in a while mm-hmm. this is like a a very good like scary movie oh yeah i mean it's jump scare mm-hmm. but there's also this other psychological or you know, i can even say go as far as to say spiritual aspect yeah. to it and i think that's why yeah. i can do it a little bit because it is more about people mm-hmm. and i mean honestly it did not touch on those things but if you really think about it there's an element that it also left out but it also included without saying too much yeah. and i think it was the spiritual aspect of it because think about it he said you need a priest for exorcism you needed yeah. this so which means that they are spiritual things they're yeah. they're forces they're demonic forces they're spiritual yep. things so it's like so you need Think about what I'm saying. Yeah. That means that you need God in it. Yeah. But, yeah. and I realized that they talked about demonic things without putting the presence of God in it a little bit. Yeah. They talk, they didn't Let's, really add uh, that aspect yeah. too much that the real true way to kind of be rid of those things yeah. is through like the presence of God. But I, and, but that's also why I liked it because I'm like, there's a sense of realness to it. There's a, yeah. it's a little bit more realistic. It's extreme, yeah. but there's a little more realism to it. it it's very interesting because it, it goes away from, and this is a, a controversial opinion in which I am not going to say that I endorse it or don't endorse it or anything like that. But like, I, I once heard the exorcist as being, uh, the best piece of Catholic propaganda ever made. Okay. And when you really look at it, it's like there is something very interesting about the history and tradition of exorcism movies. And of course, there is a new one that just came out this year mm-hmm. that I have not seen. I had no interest in seeing Exorcist Believer. Okay. Um, mostly because I didn't really even like the David Gordon Green Halloween movies. So yeah. I don't really know why I'm going to show up for his exorcism movies. Yeah. Uh, or his Exorcist franchise movies. Yeah. Um, to me, the best part of that movie was the one of the last quotes that came out from William Friedkin was that when he gets to the spirit world, he's going to come back and possess David Gordon Green to make his life a living hell. Yeah. That to me was hilarious. Yeah. Because it sounded like the most Billy Friedkin thing. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, said. it's funny though because that's but that's what I mean about it leaves out a a, a, a kind of part because even if Exorcist like exorcism or ex- like talking mm-hmm. about exorcists can be like like a huge part of like catholic yeah, propaganda yeah. yeah you also realize that there's still a, a, a aspect of reality to it which is mm-hmm. means like deliverance right yeah because yeah. we all need it's just another word to me when i hear exorcism it's just kind of like you need delivered from yeah so it's another kind yeah. of like real based thing based on that and yeah. i go but how do you get delivered yeah you 
like it's hard to get delivered from people that don't carry the presence of like Lord Jesus Christ and all and the Holy Spirit yeah. with them because they are the ones that give you the power to deliver people. Yeah. So I'm saying is there is an aspect that they talked about, you know, exorcism, which means it's got to be a person of God without yeah. really putting God too much in it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was actually a thing that I really enjoyed about the first and the second movie. I didn't like the third one just because I didn't think it was a very good movie. Yeah. And in terms of the, the spinoffs, the Annabelles and the nuns of mm-hmm. it all, like, I just, I didn't care. Yeah. Like, I was just like, I don't, I, I cared about The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2 because of Ed and Lorraine Warren mm-hmm. and because of Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga and their performances. Yeah. And I think that James Wan is an underrated director of actors. Yeah. Going back to exactly what you're saying. Deals with the people. Yeah. I think he's an underrated director of actors. Yeah. And I think that if you go back and look at a lot of his movies, the thing that oftentimes makes them have some form of staying power, I would say, you know, kind of the the ones that don't really have it as much for me are his big franchise blockbuster things like yeah. Aquaman and Fast, which he did the last one with Paul Walker. Okay. Uh, I can't remember. Was that I seven? I think it six, yeah, seven. Yeah, I think it was six or seven. Yeah, I think you're about right because that's one of the ones that it didn't finish with Paul Walker in it, but he was still in it like through a little bit through a little bit of it. Yeah, but he, I forgot what it was called though. I think it was Fast Seven. seven. Yeah, I yeah, think it I was. Think that was the one that he did. Yeah, and that one, you know, it's like I don't know. I was kind of whatever about it. He did a good job as a director, but it was kind of you're you're working within very strict yeah. confines. But when I look at a lot of the other stuff that he did, whether it was the original Saw, mm-hmm. a movie that when I went back to during my whole horror movie escapades. Yeah, it doesn't quite work now, but... It is a it is one of the better ripoffs of Seven. Yeah. That I will say that there is something there to be mined by any young writer, director, you know, duo or you know if you're writing something or if you're directing something or whatever if you're trying to come up with a really good story when i look back at saw the thing that i see is if they were more confident if lee wanell was more of a confident writer and james wan was more of a confident director Mm -hmm. which of course they were very young when they did that movie Mm -hmm. if they had really actually written that movie to be just those two guys in the room with the corpse for 80 straight minutes yeah with that same big ending and the same reveal that is a brilliant film. Yeah. That is a terrifying and brilliant film. Yeah. But you have to sustain that tension without ever leaving the room. Yeah. And that is hard. You have to have a lot of confidence to do that. Yeah. That is very, very hard to do. Yeah. I know I've tried to write stuff and I can't do that. Yeah. You know, it's like you have to, you have, to have a level of confidence yeah. that, to be able to say, I'm going to put you in this room for this amount of time and I'm not going to sustain just you know, like scaring you with people, yeah. limbs getting cut off. Yes. That has to be the ending. The guy cutting off his leg. Cause that was truly terrifying. Yeah. But what I'm really going to scare you with is I'm going to make you dread being in this room as we're going on. That's yeah. hard. That is really hard work. Yeah. But like still those performances were great. He's a great director of actors. And I love that Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga to exactly what you were talking about. They, throughout the film, oftentimes bring up God and the presence of God and who they are in relationship to God Mm -hmm. without ever actually going too deep into yeah it's like a surface level like the religion of catholicism they never actually go too deep into yeah it's like a surface level that's why i say it 
So that's why I think that was like one of my things I wanted to watch because I'm like, it kind of like touched on yeah. a little bit of realism without like going too deep because yeah. sometimes when you go too deep, then you kind of get that conflict of who's watching it. Yeah. So I think people try to like steer away from that. Yeah. But it's just the truth of it. The truth of it is that if you're going to add exorcism into a movie and it's going to be about spiritual things, mm -hmm. then there also needs to be that deep side of it because you made it deep enough for somebody to be possessed yeah. which means you also need to make it deep enough where you know how you get delivered yeah. right and so like yeah. so sometimes i think we we tend to go one side or the other without really like yeah. adding the really good meaty parts of something yeah. but for the most part that's why i liked it because and it's something that touches with me because of my faith and belief in yeah. God and things like that. Like it did touch on some things yeah. that I was like, wow, but I realized I noticed. So yeah. I think I like breaking down the movie more. Yeah. Um, when I watch it more than I actually like just it being jump yeah. scary. And I think that was one of the things that from everything I understand about exorcist believer, again, I haven't seen it. This is going off of reviews is that they went more down the direction of something like evil dead. Got you. Now, one of my favorite movies that came out this year was a horror movie, which was Evil Dead Rise. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing with the Evil Dead movies is those movies were always kind of designed with the idea of there being no religion involved in it because it wasn't coming from that, you know, place, place. of, you know, like everything in there is a made up mythology of that they're course. just like creating off the cuff. Of course, yes. And so like when you look at that, like what the new one did is it played with that mythology. It took it even yeah. deeper. It had a lot of fun with it. But like I said, the Conjuring and, didn't, though. It was based in right. religious things. And what I've heard <clears throat> about Exorcist the Believer is that it tries too hard to be the evil dead. Okay. And I'm like, but that doesn't work. Already yeah. you're making something that doesn't work. That's actually what I got from the trailers, too, when I watched the trailers. Yeah. I was like, this doesn't look like an Exorcist movie. It looks like somebody needs to break out the Book of the Dead and watch some Three Stooges to add a little comedy into this. Yeah. Because it looked like it was leaning way harder into what Sam Raimi did yeah. with these movies that are made to be about the bumbling buffoon Ash yeah. played by Bruce Campbell yeah. than they are made, you know, like the previous Exorcist movies that yeah. are very much about going, going deep into, into religion. The, it's yeah, about into like spiritual things. Possession. Yeah, it's about and spiritual things. What happens in Evil Dead can be so how can it, you call it the exorcism if you're taking the spirituality out of exactly. it? Exactly. And so, and that was the thing that I looked at that I was just kind of like, well, that already makes me completely disinterested yeah. in even watching this movie. Yeah, so it's no longer an exorcism. Because to <laughs> me, I'm kind of like, if you want to, in some way, shape, or form within a horror film, toy with the notion of an evil force that yeah. comes to this world. There has to be a mythology that you have created around it mm -hmm. that completely separates it. Yeah. That's my opinion on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And when you're looking at something like The Conjuring, to me, it did it well, where it can bring anybody into it. Mm -hmm. Because exactly like you said, it touches on it without ever going, burying itself too deep into it yeah. at the same time. Because you start to realize that there's so much more nuance to it and things to it than what it actually gives you. Yeah. Like, for instance, like... You know, there are questions. Like, I've yeah. always had these questions. Like, I think someone once asked that I, 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 like, watched a video or something. And someone once said, like, do you need to believe in God yourself to get delivered? Yeah. And I've always, like, wrestled with that question. But then I also realized, like, no. Mm -hmm. But as long as the person that's doing it yeah. can, like, impart that and have that 
face so big yeah. that it covers the both of you, then I think, yes, you yeah. can be delivered even if you don't believe yourself. Yeah. But I think a part of that is now seeking out what you do believe because yeah. if someone who can have that much faith in God can deliver you from demonic oppression yeah. and stuff, shouldn't you question that? Shouldn't yeah. you now go seek and search out God? Yeah. So that makes, you know, it's, it's a funny yeah. dynamic. But like I said, it doesn't go too deep on those things. Yeah. Like it just touches like it, the surface level of those things. Yeah, and it, it's a. Uh, and a, then you wonder. I have to put this in yeah, just yeah. to say it. You know, um, Vera Farmiga's uh, yep. Lorraine. Yeah, yeah, Lorraine. Her her perspective on that, as far as being like sort of clairvoyant, or you start to yeah. wonder about those things. Like, how real yeah. is it? Because there's a touch of like a little bit of a. How you say kind of myth? Yeah, <laughs> with a right mixed with some kind of um, spirituality that's not completely true. They're yeah. kind of like very separate each other, but somehow they kind of mixed it in together. So that's a little funny to me yeah. that aspect of it, you know. And I'm always like, okay, like mm-hmm. no one should be seeing the dead in that way. Yeah, <laughs> that is not like if you are, that is not a good spiritual thing. Yeah, so <laughs> that think, is really negative. Like no one should be seeing like dead things hanging everywhere and doing yeah. all that stuff. Like you should not see that. So one of the most fascinating things to me is that of course, Ed and Lorraine Warren, their claim to fame was that they investigated the Amity, the yeah. Amityville yeah, horror. Si- like the situation. Amity, yeah, yeah the that became the Amityville, Amityville horror. horror. Yeah. What did you think about Amityville Horror? Have you seen like all of the different iterations? I have not, and I don't really want to, honestly. But I didn't know I have if you not. had seen them when you were younger. A- Amityville is um, a very interesting one to me because I I was okay with the original one. I don't really, uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. I think I've seen, I've seen two different versions of it, but that's it. I think You've I've seen, seen the original and then the Ryan Reynolds yeah, one. Yeah, and then the Ryan Reynolds one, yeah. So, so the Ryan Reynolds one... I never really cared too much for. I used to like it. That's what I said when I was growing up. I liked all those things. Now, no, I can't. Yeah. But like, I liked them when I was growing up. The one that I'm the most fascinated by, and actually, maybe I'll rewatch it. Come up if it's on like a streaming service, just for myself, just yeah. to see how I feel about it now. Yeah. The one that was the most fascinating to me as a kid is actually the sequel. Yeah. The Amityville Horror Two, because it's actually a prequel about what happened to the family. That had the house before yeah. the the family in the first movie. Yeah. But it's made as this like nasty Italian horror film. So yeah. you're just kind of like, how did this movie even happen? It is like such a mean oh. and disturbing. And, like it is a truly mean spirited film. Oh, wow. And it's very interesting because I remember as a kid, that one like really deeply bothered me. Yeah. Because you can feel how mean-spirited it is that people are intentional the the filmmakers are intentionally okay hurting all of the characters just to get to you yeah get to rise out of you yeah which can be a little yeah i think that's i I personally think now today i think that's bad horror filmmaking. oh yeah now as a teenager that was kind of like oh yeah it's edgy man yeah but like now i kind of look at that stuff and i don't really i don't i don't like it when somebody actually shows their 
distaste for their own characters. Yeah. I want you to love your characters so that yeah. I can decide for myself whether or not I want to see them die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're funny. But yeah, you got I mean, you kind of yeah. do got to stand outside of it and be kind of totally objective. You do. In those yeah. kind of circumstances. You can't hate their characters so much that you want to yep. see so much pain, heartache, yep. and suffering come to them. Because then it does take a certain, like, humanity, I think. You do. Out of it, so yeah. I, and I'm going. So where are you operating from? Because <laughs> yep. like sometimes that that's the question, right? But I also get not going too deep because sometimes, like I said, it depends on like yeah. no, I don't want to go too deep in people that like maybe this will harm people that don't believe fully yeah. in God, or maybe this will harm people that fully do, or maybe and so you're always trying to draw that line. Yeah. But I do believe if you're going to do a movie on those things, then maybe give it a little. More true. I think yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. the truth is scarier than the Absolutely, fiction yeah. part of it, but it's also eye opening. Yeah, it is, and that's why I said like you really have to understand for yourself your own intent walking into yeah, it. Yeah, you are do. you building up a mythology? Yeah. Are you like on your own, like something like the Evil Dead? Yeah. Or are you going down the avenue of, you know, trying to do something like The Exorcist that is based in fact? Yeah. You know, like and. You know, I understand some people will look at that and say, like, but it's not, you know, I mean, this is not a really true story. You know, whatever it is. Like, yeah. but it is based on some kind of evidential yeah. thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, are you going down that avenue and doing something like The Exorcist, which I still consider to be one of the scariest movies mm-hmm. ever made. Yeah. And I'm not Catholic. Yeah. But that movie scares me. Yeah. Like, it's re- a really effective I mean, I'm not... Scary either movie. but when you start to learn about spiritual things it don't matter if you're a catholic yeah. protestant blah 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 like once you start to like really truly know about spiritual things i think that's yeah that's really what touches on it it don't matter yeah. what denomination you're 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 part of i think in a way absolutely and so i, I think that's just like ancillary yeah and like i i completely agree i also understand kind of the other conversations yeah, yeah. around that movie and they are very interesting to be had, but this is probably not the right forum to Yeah, not it. to really put it on. <laughs> not, not, not unless we're doing an entire episode about The Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. Then, <laughs> okay, it's time to get into some other conversations. Yeah, you're right. But, like, um, I, I do think that it, and it, there is also the way to say, I, I'm going to use a lot of these things and construct a metaphor. Mm-hmm. And if you're constructing a metaphor, you have to be very clear yeah. about that as well. And yeah. you have to be... You also have to be very objective with that because it's not, in my opinion, ever okay when it comes to horror, especially supernatural horror, Mm -hmm. to ever do anything in which you are being mean towards somebody else's beliefs. Oh, yeah. That is always, to me, like an enormous problem. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. And it's one (laughs) thing that I don't like about a lot of modern horror movies that deal with any form of like supernatural thing is I don't like it when you're being mean toward what somebody believes. Yeah. I want it to come from a place of honesty. Yeah. And the thing. And that's all I ask when I come, that's why I said when I think of the conjuring, when I think of exorcism, like if you're going to put spiritual things in and then come from a place of of honesty, because oftentimes if you're, if I'm honest, oftentimes like sometimes the truth can be even more scary Mm -hmm. than fictional things. But it's not really about how scary they can be for the most part. It will scare you. Yeah. But I think it's about the part of your knowledge and awareness of it more yeah. than I'm just trying to scare you, even though it is kind of, it can yep. be scary to like learn and be aware about those yeah. things. So I will say it from that perspective. But I, I also say like it's a little weird to call something 
of a spiritual practice and then put no spirituality into it. Yeah. And that was the thing that I did really like about how they dealt so with So just don't touch because, on it at all. Yeah. You get what I mean? Yeah. Like, how about you just make it so- something totally different, like you said. Build yeah. your own entire yeah, myth your own mythology around, around, around it. it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, you go back and you look at the Evil Dead and you look at all of the stuff that they're doing in there. And if you really, really break it down, it is in some ways intentionally that I know that wasn't the case with the first movie. I know yeah. the first movie was meant to be... You know, they even put it on the poster, the scariest movie ever made. You know, it's like that was kind of how they meant that first one to be. Of course. They were trying to make a great drive-in mm-hmm. horror movie that was so scary. But the thing that made the sequels work so well was the fact that they started figuring out, this is so stupid. Mm-hmm. Like this whole thing that we came <laughs> up with, with the Necronomicon and all of this yeah. other stuff, which is so dumb. Yeah. And then they start playing with the notion of well, what happens when we acknowledge that it's stupid. And that becomes a Three Stooges routine. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. I love those movies. Like, yeah. I think that they're fantastic. Yeah. But like, it, it is one of the things that I thought was very interesting about The Conjuring is that to what you were saying about Lorraine Warren. Yeah. One of the most fascinating things about the history of that movie, or not the history of the movie, I shouldn't say that, but the history of the Warrens in general is that there is there are two separate views of them. There is the view of people that completely and totally believe mm-hmm. them as individuals mm-hmm. and what they did. And then there is the side of people that say that they were con artists. Yeah. And that they intentionally preyed on people who frankly made bad real estate decisions. Okay. So Okay. The, the thing that I liked about these two movies mm-hmm. is that it skirted everything just enough okay. for you to walk out with either opinion, but it definitely skewed toward favor of having empathy with them as characters. Yeah. And I like that. I mean, I liked it too, because like I said, coming from just like, from, I just have to say it, from a yeah. made up perspective, I kind of understand. Yeah. But I, what I will say is that it's, it's, to me, it was a little weird because, like I said, yeah. when it comes to spiritual things, let's be a little more honest about it. If yeah. you're going to write about it, and like I said, it's a little weird for yeah. someone who's like can give an exorcism, yeah. like Patrick was in it at the end, but his yeah. wife is like clairvoyant. Yeah. You know what that is because it's just like, I mean, is that really a good thing? And that doesn't seem like a gift from God. You get yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you shouldn't be able to see yeah. dead people under the like under the like kingdom of God kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So it's a, that's why I said sometimes you mix yeah. like myth and like really yeah. unreal things with spiritual things. And I'm like, that's not the same thing. Like you should not be able to always yeah. get a glimpse of something dead. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You could be yeah. discerning of spirits. There's a such, there is a such thing that is real to be discerning of spirits. Yeah. But should you be able to see dead people and dead things under the umbrella of God? No. Yeah. And that was so. I, that's why the clairvoyancy of that part is a little off base for me because you're dabbling in the church, and you, you, you. In order for you to give that exorcism, you got to be of somebody that can deliver a person from yeah. that demonic possession. Yeah. But like, there's clairvoyancy in your life and, that doesn't make sense. So that's why I say it's yeah. a little mixed in. So it's it not is. completely all yeah. true. But and, yeah, and that's one of the things I liked about it was at the end of the day, the thing that they went toward was how do we find a way to make these characters to where 
you just like kind of fall in with them. You can yeah. you can be there with them and we're going to focus on the character more yeah. so than the other things around them. And that, that was yeah. the thing that I liked is that they, at, at bottom, Vera Farmiga's character of Lorraine Warren, not the yeah. real Lorraine Warren that she was based of on course. or any of the other things around who Lorraine Warren was mm-hmm. and whether or not you believe or don't believe yeah, yeah. what she, you yes. know, the, the things that she claimed that she was able to do. Yeah. The thing that I liked is that at bottom, Lorraine is a mom. The Lorraine that Vera Farmiga plays is a mom uh-huh. who understands that she needs to help this family. Yeah. And especially these kids. Yeah. And I think that is what matters the most if you're going to structure it like that. Yeah. Because if you base it purely on you know, really, uh, yeah. uh, like spiritual thing. It's just, it doesn't work. Yeah. There's so many yeah. conflicting things in there, but yeah. I, like I said, I actually like that movie from that perspective. Cause you see how I'm talking about, it. I like yeah. dissecting it more yeah. than I actually <laughs> care to be like, Oh, it was scary. Yeah. Cause at Although first I, the you, one part, I mean, Oh yeah. That was, that is really always a piece of horror. Film that making. part is always freaky. Even yeah. the like possession itself is freaky. That does not yeah, deny. The effects were yeah, unbelievable. It does movie. not deny that that stuff isn't scary because it is. But I'm like, I think I like dissecting those things more now than I actually like taking part in the like jump scare of it. Yeah. Now I do think that one thing needs to be called out as one of the scariest parts of the whole entire movie was Ryan Gosling's singing voice when they used this song. I'm just Uh, kidding. What's not to say what? (laughs) (laughs) What? But no, I mean, so yeah, at the end of the day, I still like the conjuring because the story it's, it, it can be fascinating and you can get swept up into like the myth of it. Yeah. Right. The parts that aren't so true is what makes it scary. Yeah. And I, but I also, like I said, to me, I think sometimes it's scarier to know the real part of it. Yeah. But the whole point is learn to not be scary and to just really be aware of what's really there. But like I, I said, I love it. I love dissecting those things now. Yeah. So it's interesting and fascinating to me yeah. to do stories like that and just see people, someone else's take on it. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, if you're, of course, if it's jump scare, then I guess it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's scary if it's jump scare, but if you're yeah. bringing a little truth to it, then there's a conflict there. I guess that's, that's one of the really good questions because we're, we're about to move into our next movie, which is not really a jump scare movie, but it has a few jumps. Yeah. And then we're moving into three movies that are not jump scary oh, at all. No. So, what are your feelings on jump scares versus not? Like, do you are you somebody who has ever leaned into? Oh, that's what I want is the ride of a jump scare. Like, does it get your adrenaline going in the way that you you know kind of like jumping into those kinds of movies, or are you somebody who is much more? I would say kind of like myself where jump scares don't really have much of an effect on me. Maybe a couple can get me, but it doesn't make me scared. What makes me scared is an idea. Yeah. See, and I was, that's cool that you say that because I was going to be a kind of like, it's to me, it's very distinct, right? There's a difference between the two. For me, what makes me more scared is psychological kind of type stuff, like stuff that could be real. Yeah. Those scare me more. Yeah. Because that's what I mean about like yeah. when you add a little bit of myth and all, and then you kind of make it so extreme that yeah, the jump scares, I look for movies yeah. to be very if if yeah. there's a lot of jump scare in it, yeah, then I don't I really prefer it less to be I, I want it less real. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. It's so, a little less like real for me. Yeah, it's a little or, less real. Yeah. But 
that's the jump scare. And then guess what? Once I go, ah, and then I'm done with it. I like that it goes right out of my head yeah, because yeah. it was just a surface level reaction. Yeah. It didn't go that deep. Cause a lot of times when I'm jump scared, it's not because it went that deep. It's yeah. just because it's just cause you're yeah, into it. It was a reaction. It yeah. was like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. Because it just drew you in with so much of the like, yeah. like it just drew you in. Yeah. And that's totally different than a psychological scare to me because to me, the things that scare me the most are the, the, the kind of psychological horror. Yeah. The things that actually play with your perception of things yeah. in your mind yeah. and your thought process. And you're going, but really? You start to question yeah. some of the things in your life where you start to question the way you see things or or like the way you feel. Like when it starts to mess with like the soulish part of yourself, yeah. I think those are the scariest yeah. ones to me. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Because with horror movies, for me, I have two things I lean into that I really, really love. Yeah. And... That's what makes me kind of love horror movies in general as a genre. One thing is I like I like an idea yeah. more than I like yeah. a jump. Yeah. So I like it when something happens that makes a good example is like the the ending of the original Halloween is mm-hmm. a great example. That Michael disappears at the end. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert if you somehow haven't seen the original Halloween. Yeah. But like <laughs> Um, Michael is shot. He, we see him on the ground. Then when they look again, he's gone. Yeah. That the idea that sticks in your head of the evil still being out there. Yeah. That the evil never really dies. Yeah. That's a scary idea to me. Yeah. An even scarier idea in that same movie is the single moment in the very beginning that nobody ever talks about. This is the scariest part of that whole movie to me. Yeah. When Michael walks outside and that pullback shot happens, and the parents take off the mask, and they say, Michael? Yeah. And that neighborhood looks like the kind of neighborhood that I grew up in. Oh. The singular idea that these parents could come home and be so aloof of what their child has done, that they're just kind of like, what's going on? Yeah. That they're not immediately terrified of running inside. Yeah. That there's there's just something that's all kind of broken about it. That's an idea. Mm-hmm. That to me is scarier than a jump that you could ever yeah, put into. No, you're right. Because even though I did jump on someone because how he would come around the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or how he was Especially just... as the series went on. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. of how he would just appear out of nowhere. Those are jump scares. But yeah. they, they, they're they valid. Yeah. Right? They're valid. But I would also say, yeah, you're right. It's the idea because you know that someone could actually do that in real life. Like it's yeah. possible because we have murderers we have serial killers we have psychopaths we have sociopaths we have people that actually have things in their mind that leads them to do those things and Mm -hmm. i think those are scarier i think those are scarier because they can happen it's possible yeah it's one of the reasons why despite knowing kind of the the kind of um more difficult sides of him as a person i really like the way that H.P. Lovecraft constructed horror. Yeah. Because it's horror that's all about an idea. Yeah. It's all about, you know, there's not really, it's not Stephen King-ish. Yeah. And that's also kind of what I always liked about Clive Barker. I always kind of told people that, like, I am more interested in Clive Barker as a horror writer than Stephen King as a horror writer. Yeah. That's not to say there's anything wrong with Stephen King. I actually just read... Because some people enjoy that more, like... Yeah. It's not real, but it's still... It can be just as scary, but it's not, like... Yeah, like, there's no real basis for it. Yeah, I think that Stephen King is but really But there are good. also metaphors if you think about it. Because even yes. with It, 
There's, it is a fantastic it's a heavy, metaphor. Yeah, it's yeah. a heavy metaphor. It like is, it's yeah. not really about the clown itself because what yep. clown lives in the sewer going around? It's a yeah. metaphor. And yeah. that's the scary part because it can be psychological. It can play on your mind. Absolutely. And think and about it. it. To me, it's for the, the parents and the children. But if you ask me, movies that always have like a lot of emphasis on the children, I think it's more for the parents. Because I, I was like, why are these children running around? But the parents are like yeah. at work or doing other things or not as like so into their children's life that they don't even know where they are. Think yeah. about what I'm saying. Like when you look at it, they're like, it barely made any emphasis on the parents themselves. Nope. The kids were off running around yeah. by themselves. And I'm like, yeah. there's no way my child would get into this if yeah. I'm here. Yeah. What the heck? Like yeah. you cannot keep that much attention away from someone who yeah. needs that love and protection. Yeah. Like there's just like, how and do you I, expect them to be okay? And I think that, like, that was one of the things that made It work really well. It's interesting. I don't know. How did you feel about those movies? What, It? The, the two recent ones. I, like, it was, it depends. It, it depends on where I come from, I guess. Because, like, I, hmm, I, it was okay. I like yeah, the yeah. children part of everything. Yeah. But like I said, to me, I just, because I'm an adult now, yeah. I got it more from an, a, a, like a parent aspect where I just saw kids who were, who ran around yeah. so freely. There was no boundaries. Yeah. There was no discipline. And it, it almost reminded me of uh, what we was talking about, about the Charlie, uh, Willy Wonka and the Charlie factory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How like, we give our kids sometimes too much leeway in space. Yeah. And we think they can handle very adult things until they're in a situation with very adult things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't protect them in the way that we need to. Yep. And it can lead them getting into a lot of trouble. Yeah. And I feel like that's what I saw from yeah. it, in my opinion, especially the more recent ones. Yeah. Because it was so more modern and like nowadays, and I still barely saw the parents. And then even a few times that you saw the parents, you remember... Um, what was her name? The girl that had the father when she would come home. You remember she was in the bathroom and then she saw like the blood come up from like in the bathroom and that part of uh, of it. Mm -hmm. I was like, but think about how her dad was. You remember her home life was so just disturbing a little bit. He was like, up, you know, drinking alcohol, not yeah. really very mean, yeah. kind of, and then you kind of put your kids into this really dark space. Yeah, and and I so I felt like it was it it made me see it more from a parental aspect than yeah. from the actual child aspect. Absolutely, and I will say, so I'm not a fan of the it. I don't like the second one at all. I didn't, but either. I can, and, I can, and, I can, I can say I can tolerate. The yeah. the the first one where the children you see the children, sure. yeah. but I don't like the second one at all. Part two at all. Neither did I. I did not like that movie. I um, I love the actors in it. Yeah, I thought that the actors in it are were fantastic. I thought that even some of the parts that they did were great. Mm-hmm. I just uh, so I will say that even having read the book, my least favorite parts of the book were all of the adult chapters. Yeah, it was. Like I I yeah. love the kid chapters, mm-hmm. and I thought that the kids part of the so I'll say this. I think the opening prologue with the kid who does the sailboat mm-hmm. down the street oh, yeah. when Pennywise shows up, that is a masterpiece of horror filmmaking. Yeah. That is, in terms of recent yeah. films, that one I could go and watch that little section just, right now. Yeah. Yeah. And just be in awe of it. Yeah. Because that one little section is masterful. The tone, everything. About everything it. is perfect. Yeah. It is some of the best 
not just horror filmmaking, some of the best filmmaking full stop that I've seen in a Hollywood feature in the past few years. It is unbelievable and undeniable. Yeah. The rest of the movie, I think, is a lot like uh, another movie that we saw not too long ago, The Black Phone. Mm Mm-hmm is, in my opinion, a little too indebted to Stranger Things, which in and of itself is an irony. Yeah. Because Stranger Things is basically, a you know, two brothers that are ripping off Stephen King. Yeah. Their favorite parts of Stephen King. Yeah. So there is kind of an irony to that for me. I mean, they even go as far as to cast one of the Stranger Things kids in the first It movie. Yeah. Because that reels you in. Because you're like, oh, I see uh, what... Yeah, uh, Finn. Yeah, Finn. But... That's his real name. I'm talking about what was his name in the show, though? Because uh, you're gonna, you know, most of us don't even go that Finn Wood, whatever his like his yeah. real name is. Like most times you do. Mike. No, not Mike. Uh, was it Mike? It was Mike. Mike, yeah, it yeah, was Mike. Mike. Yeah. That's why I was like, so you you see Mike? Yeah. You get what I'm saying? You see the yeah. character in Stranger yeah. Things. You don't really see the actor sometimes. No. And so like, <laughs> yeah, it's like that was that was kind of like okay, yeah, but I don't know. I wasn't like a huge fan of those two movies. Also, not a huge Stephen King fan. Just in general, I like a lot of his non-horror stuff. More. I liked it growing up. Yeah, and so that's what I would say. I liked it growing up and when I was a teenager, yeah. but past that, that's yeah, I, I grew out of it. I I will say that I really really liked. I think still one of the scariest books I've ever read was Pet Cemetery. Oh yeah, that that, is, that is a truly terrifying book. Yeah, and then recently I read one that is very good. If anybody's looking for, since we're making horror recommendations, yeah. if anybody's looking for a very good horror book. I did read one of his recently that I found the ending of to be quite terrifying called Revival. Oh, okay. And if anybody wants to go and check out, it's a book that it's, it is good to go in knowing as little as possible. Yeah. It is essentially about a former minister who becomes obsessed with electricity. Mm -hmm. And it almost seems like it's going in the direction of like Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. And then it turns into something that is just cosmic horror. Mm-hmm. where it's like it goes into like a Lovecraftian direction that was very surprising yeah and I that was a good book I actually ended up reading that one twice I yeah. liked it so much it was like watching a really good movie yeah because his prose is so effortless got you and you know he's he's not a great writer of prose it's not like reading Beckett or something yeah. you know it's like you're you're definitely reading a, a popcorn book yeah but yeah. it was a book that I the first time I read it kind of sometimes good popcorn is amazing (laughs) (laughs) but like this book that the first time that i read it it took me a little bit because i was kind of in and out of it and then my second reading of that book took me three days like and i'm a slow reader so for for it to take me three days that just tells you how quick that book flies past yeah okay um so i guess moving on to our next one uh is a movie that is i would say one of my all-time favorite films and kind of a security blanket movie for me in some ways. It's mm-hmm. just a movie I go back to a lot that I always really love. And also a movie that kind of does do the other thing that really scares me. And that's an American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. Made in 19, uh, released in 1981, written and directed by John Landis. It stars David Naughton, Griffin Dunn, Jenny Agater, uh, John Woodvine, Frank Oz, um, and David Schofield, Brian Glover, Lila Kay, and of course has amazing special effects by Rick Baker. Yeah. Um, this is the other thing that really bothers me in horror. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the only other thing that can really, really get me. Is if I love those characters so much that they make me laugh. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm watching a buddy movie for a little bit and mm-hmm. then something awful happens to them. 
that really scares me. Yeah. When did you see American Werewolf in London for the first time? Ooh. I saw it. I think I saw it when I was a little younger, but I didn't really fully understand yeah. the thing. The things that was most scary was like the wolf part. Yeah. But I I don't remember really remember it too much when I was yeah. younger. I think I started like just remembering it more when I started watching it with you. Yeah. Then but it was almost like a um when I first started watching with you it was like a slight recognition. Like I recognize it, but I don't yeah. really know it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was more like that for me. Maybe the single still has not been topped greatest werewolf transformation. Oh yeah. Of all time. Oh yeah. It, and it's kind of crazy because when you see other movies that have like it's kind of crazy because we have advanced technology yeah. and like the way and the way movie it. magic works and it's still it's not the same no. that when you see in there. I was like, how can this be so good? Yeah. I mean, it was funny because we we just recently for who knows what reason we're watching the Hulk, uh-huh. the Ang Lee yeah. version. Yeah. Uh, and there is a transformation in that movie. Yeah. That we even said like, oh look, it's like they're kind of trying to do an American world. Yeah, London. because the it's the process, how they showed it, it was so detailed. Doesn't even come no, close. I mean, it's like, yeah, the sound effects can still make you cringe. Yeah. And it's still like, okay, if you're following the story. Yeah, and but it, like, it's so painful. So it made me cringe a little bit because it's just like it was painful. The yeah. transformation was painful. Uh-huh. So I would say that. That's but, what Hope did kind of like Kind of it, mirror. It, it got it's the like the sound pain. effects and the yeah, actor's emotion. Right? Yeah, so it, like and it was just it. painful. Yeah, but like when you see the werewolf transformation, and oh my goodness, <laughs> that I mean that to me to this day is like, yeah. like I, it's almost like I can like I feel yeah. like his pain. Yeah. Like it's so deep. Like I'm like okay, this is still amazing because I've seen other werewolf movies. Yep, and nothing ever transforms this way. No. Nothing ever caught that. Especially once you start getting into where we kind of went with it, which there hasn't been a very good revival of the werewolf in a while. Yeah. I would love to see it happen. I would love to see a great werewolf movie. I mean, I harbor the deep dream of making a great werewolf movie. Or just a great, you know, that uses that same metaphor. Yeah. But, like, I haven't seen a great werewolf movie since probably Neil Marshall's dog soldiers, which is a little bit more kind of in the vein of the howling than in the vein of an American werewolf in London. And we kind of got to that point with werewolves where now we've moved into twilight where they're cool. Yeah. And that's not to say werewolves. They were truly just wolves. And so like that (laughs) was the thing was that I thought was very interesting was that Stephanie Meyer decided they're werewolves in all but name. And, you know, it's like where it's like they're, they're still adhering to the entire idea of transforming into a wolf oh, and all of that. yeah, but so, they're not werewolves. Yeah, so it's like, but they're not... They're wolves. They turn into wolves. But they're not, like, indebted to the full moon. Just no. like in her version well, of yeah, story. Well, yeah, they are. Oh, no, they're not. No, they can they're just transform not. Yeah, they will, can just at random. in the middle of the day. Yeah, and... and she made it to where they're con- they're very conscious of that transformation, yeah. right? So therefore, they still have a mind to right. like not kill, kill, not kill. Right. You see what I'm saying? There's still hum- very humanistic aspects to them. Yeah. But like I said, they're not. Yeah. They're not werewolves. They're right. wolves. They're they're people that turn yeah. into wolves. I mean, it's <laughs> it's one of the interesting things with those movies. I know we've talked about you know doing those at some point because I now weirdly have a very 
soft spot for those movies because of watching them with you. Yeah. I now have like a very, very soft spot in my heart for those movies. Yeah. That now I find myself like if I hear anybody kind of slagging them off, I'm kind of like, yeah, but the, you, you don't really get it because like you, but, you but have which to watch one them. Like, which one slag, would you have the Well, really? if anybody kind of slags off that series and it's kind of like, oh, you know, those movies suck. I'm kind of like, mm, I, I actually can't agree with that anymore. Yeah. I've actually, I've seen them. I get it now. It's not necessarily my cup of tea. Yeah. But I do get it. I see where people love it. And yeah. I will say. I mean, but more than anything, any, it's, you know what it does. More than anything, it's 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 romance. It's and, that and, fantasy romance kind of Cinderella story that every girl yeah. likes. And mixed with a little bit of danger. I, and I, also, that's what she put into it. I heard somebody say on a show, I can't remember who said it, that the best part about Twilight is that it, kind of opens up the 13-year-old girl in all of us. Yeah. And I agree with that. Yeah. But it, it does have that that power to do that yeah. as a story. Yeah. And the thing that I also will say is that anything with a fan base that is that rabid. Yeah. That, oh, like, they're rabid. <laughs> I, have, I have seen footage of people going to revival screenings. Yeah. I really hope, because if they ever do, I'm going to get tickets and we can go. Yeah. I really hope the Terror of the Plaza will do it at some mm -hmm. point and do like a revival screening of oh, any of yeah. the movies. I have seen footage of those screenings where they are like rock concerts. Yeah. People are going absolutely and then nuts they're for in, them. Like, Capito, they just I like, love it. You remember they'd be like Edward versus Jacob. Yeah. And, and that was like, like a big thing team to Edward me versus team, team Jacob. Jacob. <laughs> and it was like about which side are you on? Yeah. And like, I remember like, I remember not really kind of participating too deep in those things yeah, even though i yeah. did love the series yeah but like yeah i would say team network yeah <laughs> i wasn't like team sparkly vampires. yeah because i mean i wasn't <laughs> I, but i wasn't like a crazy fan about it yeah but like secretly of you as i'm like team network. yeah yeah because i don't know like it's it's something about it that and yeah. i will have to say it's a little it's crazy but yeah they romanticize that so much yeah because you go um being with a person that can turn into a wolf is not as like romantic as being with somebody who's like yeah. a vampire and who will bite you and it looks like very romantic and like just rough and yeah. like you get what I'm saying? There's a the, that difference is such it's such a big difference. Yeah. Apologies now when you, for the outside noise oh, that I can hear. Yeah, just you can see him in the background. Right now, so okay. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but when you think about the the characters that play the people yeah i understand why there is a different a differentiation between teen jacob and teen edward yeah. but when yeah. it comes to like the like the basis of the story itself uh, wolves versus vampire i probably would choose vampires every time because yeah. to me there's nothing romantic about well, being a person who can turn into a vampire a, a werewolf well, but it's something romantic about someone who's a vampire i don't know why i don't know why is, it's romanticized that way this is actually the thing that i think is the most interesting about when we were talking earlier about metaphors yeah in horror films about the metaphors of these types of genre in particular like the werewolf movie yeah if you really look at the werewolf of uh, i mean the metaphor of the werewolf movie it, it is a metaphor for puberty yeah you know it is a metaphor for mm -hmm. you know what's happening i'm going kind and of crazy also i'm changing there's hair everywhere yeah. and well, there's you know it's like and both sides do do this it's about like getting down to your most like animalistic yep. instinct that you can possibly yeah. act upon yeah 
So that's what makes it a little like ooh and yeah. dangerous for both sides. Yep. But like I said, when I really think about it down to like just and what that verse, yeah. like those comparisons are, I was like, I would choose vampire every time well, because they still look human. I'm like, I yeah. would not want to be with somebody who can actually turn right. into like a werewolf or a wolf. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like there's nothing really all that, you know, for lack of a better term, there's nothing really all that sexy about going through puberty. No, it's nothing it's, it's, so awkward. It's awkward and it's and you're kind angry. of like, yeah, you're, you're angry emotional. and you're, you're, you're completely irrational. Yeah. You can't understand why there's hair all over the place. No. You can't like, like you just, nothing makes sense no. and you're just losing it. No, and then nothing like, makes sense. But with vampires, yeah. vampires are very sexy. Yeah. And there's even, if you think about what the vampire's kiss is, yeah. it's an exchange of bodily fluids. Yeah. It is, I'm going to bite you. But think about what it also means deeper, blood. too. Yeah. It's like a tie. It's like we're tied yeah. together forever. Yeah. Because you know, one of her myths, and I don't know if this is a myth in real life. I mean, not in real life, but you mean, I mean, another story. Yeah, in the lore. All of her lore is made up. Actually, the. The base is made up because for her they only have one mate story. for life unless they get killed, right? right? Remember, there was is that a is that a part no. of the, the original lore? No, no, okay, no. so that was part of her lore, and there's something romantic about that. Yeah, it's it's something very romantic about that. Once you like a vampire, like sets his yeah. eye on you, like you're just like y'all kind of mate for life unless you get killed. Yeah, I, I'm I'm stealing this from somebody else. I don't fully agree with it, but. It, there is a, a slight element of truth to this. Okay. Essentially what Stephanie Meyer did, and Stephanie Meyer is uh, uh, of the Mormon faith. Oh, okay. Essentially what she did was she took what Anne Rice did oh. with vampires okay. and gave it a little bit of like a Mormon, oh. not necessarily bent because there's nothing they're doing that is of the Mormon. Mormon. Yeah. yeah. But like the entire element of like, Okay, we're gonna be together forever. It's one union that is joined. Which eternally. is that is that is in it's, every kind of thing because yeah, even in and, in godly marriages in right. Christianity, it's the same yeah. thing. Once you and once you marry somebody, you're supposed to be together, and it's one of you. It's that's why it's, that's why I said it's not necessarily a Mormon yeah. bent, but it's something that she took from her own experiences Got with you. that okay. and put into it. Now, when you go back and you look at the Anne Rice stuff, that's not even very. Oh, close to the okay. vampire mythos in terms of if you're going to trace it through history either okay. actually the most interesting piece of vampire lore that i've never and maybe i'm completely wrong maybe there is something that exists that is that that is like this but i've never seen it yeah the most interesting piece of vampire lore that i've ever heard of was an early germanic kind of version of it mm-hmm. that was essentially a folk tale that was meant to scare young girls from going out. Oh, okay. That was that there were men who dressed in dark clothing who were oh. of who were vampires oh. who were men that were uh, there to steal virgins, oh. and they would have a barb on their tongue mm-hmm. and use that to drink your virgin blood oh. and kill you. Yeah, those are sacrifices. It's like pagan kind of like rituals. So this is this, of course, was um, a, an urban legend that was yeah. used for fathers to tell their daughters, like, see, this is why you don't go out because this, this what, guy's going to get you. Yeah, okay. Essentially, what it was, it was a boogeyman story. Oh, boogeyman. And, and so you know, like that was, but that was of the vampiric lore, the most interesting. Oh, one. okay. I think most of what we have, you know, comes from Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm-hmm. and from especially today in contemporary times from Anne Rice. 
stuff, yeah. like Interview with Vampire. Vampire, yeah. You know, which, of course, those books are essentially, like, kind of erotica. Yeah. That, and you know what it is, too? Are. You know what I will say? To also, um, part of the, I think, the romanticism and kind of, I know, I can have to actually say, to me, like, it, it gives into your almost most, like your like the most desires that you have as a human because yeah. think about it you want to live forever yeah you want to stay the same age forever yep all the vampire things touch on that yeah it's like you're stuck in time because yeah. you don't age yep like you don't like you live forever yep and so if you get bitten at 20 you stay 20 forever yep you get what i'm saying so some of those things are very you yeah. know but it, it placates to those like fantasies yeah, it just it placates to that and, the highest of fantasies and the, <laughs> the things i always find interesting are the ones that play with the lore yeah are the ones that and you can say as stephanie myers did she didn't play with it in a way that was interesting to me yeah but i will say that I now understand why people love it so much. Yeah. So I don't, I don't like try and bother. But that's anymore. because it was very but, romantic based. That's yeah. why. So to me, she played on exactly the audience she was reaching, which, which was young teenage yeah. girls. It, <laughs> it also really, really helps if you see those movies with somebody who is invested. Yeah. And you're not just seeing it in. Oh yeah, like by yourself. Yeah, like by yourself, and yeah. you don't really have an inclination toward it. Yeah. Like because I read the books though. Yeah. So like. You know, being with somebody and yeah. watching the movies with somebody who is invested to the point like you. Who's yeah, read the books, I was very. And to this day, the, I can't lie. I'm a grown woman. I still like them. Like, because I yeah. still watch them because they're still like fantasy based. So yeah. I'm like, if you can watch Lord of the Rings, yeah. I'm sorry. I have to say it. <laughs> yeah. I really do. I'm not yeah. saying that they're equal to it because Lord yeah. of the Rings is just it's, amazing. Yeah. It's epic. But what I'm saying is if you men can love their Lord of the Rings and their Star Wars, why can't yeah. I love yeah. my Twilight? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's and why I say that. <laughs> that is the thing that I think is 100% fair about it. Yeah. Um, we've gotten very far away from American World. Oh, yeah, we did. But, we like, started touching some of, like, just... But one of the things that is really cool is that they do do a very, very good job in this movie of creating a a very romantic story. Yeah. Out of a werewolf but story. It's, it, it, but it's like, to me, it's like romantic turn into tragedy. It's that, a great tragedy. Yeah. It's a tremendous tragic film. I, how do you feel about the ending of this movie? Because people oh have very divided feelings about the end. It's, it's sad if you it ask is. me. Do it's you, very sad. Do you personally think that the, the version of Blue Moon that cuts in Mm-hmm. When it cuts to black with the the doo-wop version, yeah, of Blue Moon ruins that tragedy. At all. No, I don't think so. Either. No, it's one of the things I love the most about the movie. Yeah, is that it's so jarring and shocking that I get a sense of what it must feel like to be there. Yeah, in that moment to see here there was a wolf sitting here a minute ago yeah now there's this naked yeah man guy that's been shot who's been shot and yeah. killed. And there's this woman standing here crying. Yeah. It is all so nonsensical. It's almost like a doo-wop song yeah. cutting in after a tragedy. Oh, yeah. Where it, to me... That, that bubblegum pop. But, like, yep. there's something kind of a little haunting about those things sometimes. That's what I have always felt about it. It's yeah. very haunting. I yeah. never got the the giggle that came out of me the first time I ever saw the movie all the way through was not a giggle of, oh, ha-ha, that's so funny, John Landis. Yeah. It was a giggle of extreme nervousness yeah because it's like and then the difference to me if you ask me what you just said about the difference between like the music the kind of upbeat music mm. that 
pops in like right after that to me the contrast is so jarring that it makes you think about it more like think about it yeah. it's so jarring and then mm-hmm. and that to me is a kind of great take on some of the classics like because you, do you remember like in some of like the other like horror films like how like things were happening and all of a sudden this like upbeat song would come in on it after yeah. and it was something about it that was just so yeah. jarring that you could tell the contrast of it that it made you go like what yeah it just makes you like go what because yeah. it's just so jarring to me. The it contrast is, is different. It's so and, jarring, and it's the closest thing that we have to, uh, you know, outside of also another movie that does beautifully was David Cronenberg's The Fly. Mm, okay, if you remember the end of that movie, yes. it's you know, spoiler alert if you haven't seen that one. Like Jeff Goldblum's is now essentially the fly. He's mm-hmm. this disgusting mash of human and fly on the mm-hmm. ground, and Gina Davis has the gun he puts the gun to his own head and she fires and kills yeah. him. And then it just cuts to black. Yeah. That's it. That's the movie. Yeah. And you're just, a lot of movies don't do that anymore, but if you go back and you look at especially like older horror movies from the 1930s and 40s, mm-hmm. that was often how they ended. Yeah. You know, it was like, last uh, the last thing happens and it's just like, dun, 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 and then you have a big yeah. credit that says the end and then that's it. Leave. Go home. Yeah, because there was nothing <laughs> like... Like, there was no sad son to lean into it. Nope. There, there was, was something so jarring about the yeah. ending to what just happened yep. with the end of, the like, the music playing. And I'm just like, well, it's just so jarring to me yeah. that you can't help but to notice it. And there's no epilogue. There's no, what's no. Jenny Agner doing now? There's no yeah. shot of her sitting by the window with, like, a book and you see a picture of David sitting yeah. over there. There's none of that. There's yeah. and there's no going back to his family and while, no. when they see the news. You have to walk out of there thinking about all that stuff yourself. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think is the most haunting about it is that you go from, I can't believe that's how they ended it. Yeah. To, oh, wow. That is, boy, that really hurts. Mm-hmm. To then starting to imagine all those scenes mm-hmm. of what does she do afterwards? Mm-hmm. Like, and then what about his family? Mm-hmm. Like the to me, one of the most heartbreaking things in the whole entire movie, and one of my favorite scenes of the movie, is when he calls home, mm-hmm. and he's thinking about killing himself. He can't do it. He's like, you know, he calls home and he talks to his little sister. Yeah. And the last conversation for when you really, really think about it, that his little sister is going to grow up for the rest of her life, remembering that the last conversation she had yeah. with her brother. Was him going, where are mom and dad? They never would have let me stay home by myself at 10. Yeah. Well, what are you doing? You're being such a goof. You know, it's like he's... Yeah. It's this normal conversation where he says, just tell them that I love them. Yeah. And there's no indication anything is wrong. No. There's no indication that you're never I mean, never he barely even realizes again. it. Remember? Yeah. Because, like, that's the whole point about the, the werewolf and the kind of liking thing is that you seem not to be so aware. Yeah. Like, you're not really... Pl- because you have transformed, you're yeah. not like presently there. Yeah. Like that mind is something, it's almost like your, um, how you say? Like your civility and yeah. everything that makes you human has left. Yep. And you're only stuck with the animal instinct of yeah. everything. Absolutely. So it's the separation. Yeah. So it's almost like, how would he know anyway? How would any of that be something yeah. he focuses on when he doesn't even know that, that that's really happening to him? Yep. And it's so crazy though too because- it almost reminds me of trauma because you remember yeah. the pain is so great yeah. that it changes to something else and he doesn't even like know it's happening. Like yeah. I'm like he felt it for that small bit of time that transformed. Remember when he was screaming yeah. and he was like, ah! but by the yeah. time he was done transforming, I'm like, he, did he even remember the pain? Yeah, because he he wakes up naked in the zoo, but he doesn't even the, remember the pain. No. He doesn't remember he just transformed. He, he 
runs around with Jenny Agutter biting on her yeah. and trying to have sex with her. And, and he's just says, like, I feel great. Yeah. I feel like an athlete. Because you're using your most basic, like, yeah. instinct and, like, senses, like, those highest of desires yeah. to kind of, like, live out. Like, yeah. that's what you're doing as a werewolf. You're not really... Yeah. Look, you have an urge to kill. You have a desire to kill, so you kill. Yep. You have a desire for meat and flesh and blood, so you take it. Yep. It was never then, about, like, I need to think on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, like, I, I think it's worth pointing out that you because we, we haven't mentioned him but griffin dunn in this movie oh, yeah. is the talking corpse the talking corpse. he's a meatloaf <laughs> <laughs> i'm he's sorry i called you a meatloaf jack yeah. it, he is unbelievable in this movie and yeah. every single time you watch it it's hard not to pay attention to the wiggly piece of flesh yeah on his face and he's just he's and he's decomposing but, more and more as every time he shows yeah. back up he's like decomposed even more it's one of the funny things so that every single time i watch like it, not every time i watch this movie but he sticks in my head so much that it's not that hard for me to start laughing by just thinking about him going have you ever talked to a corpse it's boring yeah it's like that and then um anytime i meet somebody named david it immediately <laughs> clicks in my head to go david yeah just like the way that he did this yeah movie. so like it's just one of those things where it's like his character in this movie has just stuck in my head so deeply yeah. that it's one of the reasons why I love going back to it. It's one of the things that makes mm-hmm. it me. I own like five different copies of this movie. Yeah. Like it's kind of crazy. Yeah. But like, it's one of the things that makes me just absolutely adoring. And can we it. talk about the beginning? Yes. Of how, when they get to the pub and yes. the people are like, just so cold hearted yep. as if they've done something so wrong. Yeah. Why? Cause they're unaware they're, they're wrong like it it was such a cold feeling yeah them keeping the town secret yeah the entire idea yeah uh uh, lila k you know saying like we must go to them yeah we must go there you know should the world know our business and you're just like you have to help these kids i know (laughs) because also part of keeping those things secret and hidden means that people are dying there and don't you think that eventually will get around you're going to be known as the place where people go missing think about that and i always wonder when i think with people logic i'm like yeah but isn't it better to like for people to know so it can get resolved yep then for you to keep it a secret and then people come up missing that part of the world which means you never grow your economy never grows there's nobody that i'll ever come back there unless you just that kind of person that likes it like that but i don't know how you can sustain that so that's why i'm just like yeah and and one of my (laughs) favorite things is that they they reference something in that beginning that i absolutely love which is um there's a great if anybody wants to own this movie in a cool way arrow video has released a fantastic blu-ray and also 4k of it but there's a great uh, like three-hour-long documentary mm-hmm. on there that is about the history of the werewolf in the whole beginning and mm-hmm. then leads into the movie itself. And most of what we know about yeah. the hit of the werewolf mythos is not at all like vampires. Yeah. Where we have these singular texts like Dracula and other mm-hmm. things to draw on. The vast majority of the werewolf mythos was completely made up for the movie The Wolfman. Mm-hmm. And there were other iterations of it before them, Werewolf in London, you know, uh, other little iterations before uh, of it before them. But what the silver bullet, the, you know, a uh, whole entire, like the, the kind of detail of the full moon, the idea of if you get attacked by a werewolf and you live, you become yeah. one. All of that stuff is 
Lon Chaney Jr. and the Wolfman. Yeah. That's all of that stuff is that one movie. Mm -hmm. And there's a great little bit in the beginning where Griffin Dunn says, what's that five-pointed star on the wall for? Mm -hmm. And then he tells David, you know, Lon Chaney and and Universal Studios maintain that that's the marketable. He even, like, calls it out, Mm -hmm. like, as if it's trademarked. Yeah. Calls it out like that. And to me, that was one of the funniest things in the whole entire world because it specifically shows something very haunting about this town Mm -hmm. and what they're doing, that these people are so ill-equipped yeah. as to what to do about this thing that's happening there. Mm-hmm. That And we get no history of it. There's mm-hmm. no moment where somebody says, long ago there was a curse on this yeah. town. There's none of that. It's just these people are living with this and they don't know what to do. Yeah. And they are so ill-equipped that they take something from a movie and try and use it to ward this thing off. Because yeah. that's all they have. There's no... Yeah. There's nothing there's no there. There's no instructional guide to say, how do you keep a werewolf away? Or how do you stop from dying? Or yeah. how do you... And then when you talk to the doctors, yeah. right? The the people that should be fascinated by this and researching it, mm-hmm. what do they say? A, a, a madman has the strength of a yeah, thousand. Yeah, is a, is a, is a form of psychosis. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah. And there's you like... mean somebody who can <laughs> physically transform it to a werewolf is a form of psychosis? Yeah. And because no. they're just like, there's no way that you can physically do this. Yeah. So here are the people that should be studying this and figuring out a way yeah. to stop it. And what do they do? They rationalize it. Yeah, because it's, and... they're completely unaware because... Once again, you didn't let anybody know that no. this was even a thing happening yeah. in your town, which means that everybody who comes there ends up dead. Yep. And then your town is going to be known as don't go there because yep. everybody who goes there, they never come back. Yeah. Why would you want that? Exactly. It's your, it's your, it's your, it's your like, <laughs> you get what I mean? Yeah. It's the talk of your town. Why exactly. would you want that? So yeah. that's why I was just like, so there's downsides to like keeping those things a secret. Yeah. Absolutely. The downside too is also letting people know that it happens, so people will be scared to go anyway. Yeah. But I will say that if if it's louder, yeah. then people can actually do something about yep. it, and then you won't have that problem no more, and then you're good. Yeah. So it won't be a long lasting issue. Yeah. And it, but it, it's also a really weird one to me too because the weird thing about the werewolf lore is the fact that if you get bitten, you have to. What is that? The original one where you have to go back to the beginning and bite the first werewolf that bit all you in like sequential order? No, like so the 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 werewolf mythos as kind of like has been developed mostly through films over the years oh. is essentially because it's it's something that doesn't really have like a oh. firm okay. rooting in anything. You can go back. That's one of the things that that documentary does very well. You would actually probably specifically because of your own love of like history. Yeah. Probably really love like the first 40 minutes of that documentary Mm -hmm. where it goes into um, a lot of the Egyptian lore and Roman lore Mm -hmm. that kind of informed what would eventually become the werewolf. Got you. That there wasn't really anything set when they did the Wolfman. Yeah. There wasn't really anything there that said definitively... You know, this is how it works. I mean, essentially, if you really boil it down, the lore that they present in American Werewolf in London is pretty much it. It's not, you know, the one thing they take away is like, okay, let's let's put in the element that like the silver bullet is just silly. Yeah. You know, like what what is that? So they, they take out the silver bullet aspect, but yeah. that was originally one. The only thing that you could use to kill a werewolf is a silver bullet. Yeah. Um, and outside of that, it's, you know, that was, I think that was in the vampire thing too. Silver bullet or wooden stake. 
Well, so the, the, with the vampire, it was garlic across and a silver bullet, a, a wooden stake. It but was the, a silver bullet too. The, it was silver. I've never heard the silver bullet piece of it. Well, maybe not silver bullet, but in, silver. I heard a silver can yeah. like I don't know why, but I've heard a, a sure certain that, aspect that silver also could like I, if you stabbed one with it or shot him with yeah. it, like silver can also kill them. I'm sure that there is more than likely some yeah. iteration of vampiric lore. Yeah, because even has that. you remember in Blade, it was silver. Yeah, so that's what I mean when I say I'm sure there's some iteration of vampiric lore yeah. in which that's I'm a just piece saying it. it was really true. Like in, in Blade, it, they were yeah. vampires, and one of the lore but, of them was silver. Yeah, I, I know that, like, going back to, like, the old, you know, like the, the talking about, like, the, yeah, I guess, like the Bram Stokerness of it yeah. all. Yeah. It was, like, the wooden stake, mm-hmm. the cross, the garlic. And um, uh, holy water. Oh, and holy all, water. Where the, all of the the weaknesses uh, outside of sunlight. Yeah, yeah. Where all of the weaknesses of a vampire. Yeah. And um, which to me makes sense because then you know it's like certain like they wouldn't be able to wear all the jewelry that they do. They wouldn't be able to do you know. Because no, you got to get yeah. pierced with it. Yeah, but it's like because to me it's the poison of the silver. You got to get yeah. pierced with it. So I can understand wearing jewelry yeah. because it's just sitting on your skin. Yeah. And if when you're vampires, like your skin is supposed to be like glass anyway, so it doesn't affect you. Yeah. It's when it gets. It's when you get pierced with it that it's supposed to affect I, you. I guess the thing that uh, would make me very cautious about that as vampires, if I'm wearing it, somebody snatches it off me and stabs me with it, then I'm instant dead. Yeah. That, so I mean like, that is, but that's yeah. That's the but that's how they had it. It was like silver. You can die. I I know though that like in the in the old school lore i don't remember there being anything with silver but like there i like i said all of these different things have changed so much yeah depending on who's telling it and who wants to play with it like i mean you know there's 30 days of night which doesn't really adhere to any of that any of it with exception of one thing and what's that which is sunlight that's it. Yeah. That's the only that thing. It's just the sunlight. Other than that, they are literally the scariest yeah, vampires because, I've ever seen. I mean, outside of sunlight, they seem to be unkillable. They are just like the most vicious yes. things I've ever seen. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that one's creepy. But yeah, so I'm an American Werewolf in London. Yes. A fantastic film. Also a great use of Van Morrison's Moon Dance. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. So um anything else you want to add to that one? No. All right, so now we are going to move on to something else yeah. that I'm very excited for. We are moving into the House of Hitchcock. Yes. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so we're starting this one out with The Birds, yeah. 1963. Mm-hmm. Uh, written by Evan Hunter, based on a story by Daphne du Maurier. Uh, starring Tippi Hedren, Rod Taylor, Jessica Tandy, Suzanne Plachette, and of course a very, very young Veronica Cartwright. Yeah. Um, we of course both are lovers of Hitchcock. Yeah. Pretty much anything that he has made, we will watch. Hmm. I th- I think I've seen everything that he's made in terms of the sound pictures i haven't seen a lot of the silent films got you but in terms of the available sound pictures i think i've seen all of his stuff Mm -hmm. um he truly is and this is the thing i was excited to do for a horror episode was talking about the master of suspense yeah and three of his most suspenseful films yeah uh when do you remember when you first saw the birds 
Oh man, I was little. That scared the too. mess out of me. Yeah, me too. I had like after that, I I I started having fear of birds. Yeah. Like I hated them flying over me. I hated them being laying on the ground and like landing next to me. Like, cause I really had a fear. Cause I probably saw when I was like eight or something like that yeah. for the first time. So yeah. after that, I started having a little bit of a fear of birds for a while. Cause I was yeah. like, they really attack like that. I just believed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I never. The movie did not make me afraid of birds, mm-hmm. but uh, it definitely did scare me. Yeah, like really. As a this is one of the best horror movies for kids mm-hmm. in that way of. It's like if you're probably like around like what, like maybe 10 or 11 mm-hmm. and you want to watch something scary for the first time. This is a pretty good one. Yeah, I think to, so. To go for Because it. it's not too, you know, it's. Yeah, it's. And it makes you kind of scared about the physical aspect. There's nothing that's really psychologically plays with your no. mind. But that's why I was so scared when I was a kid because it's something I could just physically see. I'm like, yeah. if a bird can attack you in a film, then it can attack you in real it, life. And that's what's the scary yeah. part about it. And then it makes it really scary as a kid because they attack all the school children yep. in that one part. Yep, they do. That's probably like one of the best parts of the whole entire movie <laughs> is... You know, her sitting down, she lights up a cigarette. Yeah. She's waiting for the other teacher to come, you know, to be free. Mm -hmm. She's listening to all the kids singing. Yeah. And then you see a couple of birds on the jungle gym. And then there's like a few more birds on the jungle gym. And then by the time she gets up, the entire jungle gym is just like... 2,000 birds or something. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, not literally 2,000, but like, you know, it's just covered in birds. That was so horrifying to see. <laughs> One of the things that I love about this movie is that it also does something else that Hitchcock is really good at doing, which is developing characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The characters in this movie are spectacular. Yeah, they are. In particular, I mean, I love Tippi Hedren and Rod mm-hmm. Taylor together as a couple, mm-hmm. but then you have Rod Taylor's mom. Yeah. Who you had commented a lot during the movie. Yeah, I do. You usually kind of like the mother character in his movies or the older yeah you know why because they're so wise so there's some wisdom there yeah Yeah, and they have this like yeah you're right they kind of have this like like cadence to them that's kind of like just they're on point yeah and it it reminded me of the same thing of to catch a thief when they were like and the mother in there was just dynamic (laughs) i loved her more than like actual like yeah yeah. so that's why i was just like oh my goodness like the mother in that film was yeah. was just more dynamic and, and to me like whoa like I was drawn to her yeah. more than I was to a degree of Grace Kelly so that's what was yeah. so weird about because I was like oh she's beautiful but her mom has wisdom yeah. <laughs> you get what I'm saying because yeah. it was something about it that I loved that her mom had so much wisdom I was yeah. like that's what I'm talking about <laughs> it's really funny because I always enjoy seeing who the the viewer of a Hitchcock movie gets attached to yeah and What's interesting to me is the next movie we're going to talk about where suddenly he takes that away. Yeah. That's always interesting to me. But I know for me, I always get attached to the the female, the lead female. Mm-hmm. That's always who I'm attached to. Yeah. Because there's something to me that's so exciting about seeing the way that his, with, you know, a couple of notable exceptions like Vertigo. Vertigo, definitely, mm-hmm. you're stuck in Jimmy Stewart's mind. Yeah. So there's something very different about that. Yeah. You know, the, the Kim Novak character is very much, she's fascinating, but mm-hmm. like, you know, she's definitely kind of mm, in, in yeah. some, that entire movie is just such a nightmare mm-hmm. in its own way that it's kind of hard to really articulate without just talking about that yeah. movie. But whether it's Tippi Hedren in this one uh, or uh, 
Grace Kelly in either yeah. of her, her Hitchcock movies or Ingrid Bergman. Mm-hmm. And it, I really, really love his leading ladies. And yeah. those are the characters I always find myself completely attached yeah. to. I mean, first off, you're drawn by their beauty. Yeah. Like, you can't I, help I, but to, like, notice that. I'm absolutely. saying, I know that that's not supposed to marry at all, but, like, you can't help but be drawn by that. So yeah. that's the first and I foremost. Mean, it, they're, they're just, they're, like, they're kind of like the poster of like these very yes. like demure women, you know yeah. what I mean? But what I like to see is when they look demure, but they have like the personality of like mis- like they have that characteristic You're of mischief. Yes, yes, I love it. I love it. I love That's... it. I love it. I love it. That is my favorite part about those fem- that nuance between those females. Because when you look at them, they so demure. But the moment they start acting on something or they talk, yeah. you're like you're full of mischief. I love it because you're not what you seem. <laughs> That's my absolute favorite part. Is that most of his female characters can outsmoke, outdrink, and yep. outthink. Yep. The, their male counterparts. And that's not how they look. Not at all. But, they, but you know, you also have, like, I mean, I, I definitely the woman that just kind of, like, melts my eyes in a movie every single time I see her is Grace Kelly. Yeah. Like, especially in one of the movies we're going to talk about here. Yeah. But, like, there is, she's just one of those women that every single time I see her on screen, I'm just like, well, wow. Yeah. It's almost kind of, like, a little bit speechless when she first shows up yeah. you know where it's like you kind of you're kind of i'm suddenly kind of like nine seeing her for the first time again yeah. i'm just like wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> but like for like you know that is like you said that's definitely an aspect right like that's the draw is because he he knows i get your eyes yeah. affixed to them yeah but then like you said the thing that i love the most is the fact that they become kind of like the the most able yeah characters of the stories a lot of times particularly in this one with tippy hedrick yeah because you if you notice where his male characters are exactly who he kind of presents them to be a lot of the times and that's not bad i'm saying if they're like these strong kind of like rough kind of men or they're they believe in a certain thing or they step like they're exactly who they say they are yeah but most women don't they're, to me, they don't look like who they tend, end up being, yeah. which is a I think it's a beautiful thing because I love it because yeah. during that time you think about how how the view of women were yeah. like you're supposed to kind of be seen and not heard and yeah. you're supposed to carry yourself with this classy and boom boom but then the women do but the moment they like oh they I'm like I love you because yeah. they're they're like they're not their their reaction or the way they like do something is contrary to how yeah. they look and it's one of the things that so has... we it's kind of almost like a uh, how you say like a little bit of a surprise like it's yeah it's uh it's it's like so surprising for me yeah. and I love that like surprise of that moment because it, you think you automatically assume okay they they're stuck up yeah they're very high fluting they're yeah. you kind of just have these you associate that kind of like high social class social life and yeah. the look of them with those kind of personalities and character yeah. traits but most of these women don't have that yeah so i really love it it reminds me of like at breakfast at tiffany Do yeah. you know like how yeah. Yeah. like uh, like she's supposed to be like Audrey Hepburn is supposed to be like she's very demure looking. Yeah, she's very the way her social like her life. Yeah. But when I really start seeing her the way she reacts to things or the way she, I love it because there's so much mischief in her. Yeah, there is. That I love it. That's what same, really draws me to same her. Same thing again with her and Charade. Yeah, just watched. There's yeah, so like, much mischief yeah. in her <laughs> that I love and it. That's what I love too. That's one of the things that makes me and like 
obviously I'm not going to like disappear into this conversation too much, but like it's one of the things that makes me kind of confused when we say like, oh, there are no strong female characters yeah. in older films because I'm like, I don't know. I've seen Howard Hawks. I've seen Hitchcock. Yeah. And I, I kind of have to disagree because yeah. their female characters were some of the strongest so I've ever seen put yeah. on film, period. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they these were not women who just showed up and were damsels in distress. I don't agree no. with that at all. And I some mean, of them, most of them were leading ladies for a reason. Yeah. Like for a reason. Yeah. Because to me, not all leading ladies, I don't know. I don't call all leading ladies like a damsel in distress. No. And but sometimes you kind of put them as that prototype and they're not all that way. Like no. the ones I've seen that I've really been drawn to are the ones that like we're talking about now. It's like those really classy, beautiful, demure yeah. women. But when they, by the time they you get to know them, there's so much like just love and light and mischief. Yeah. In them. And I, I think one of the things that's very important to remember that I think that we've kind of lost context of over time is if you do look back at history, things like film criticism and things like film magazines yeah. were not written for men. Yeah. It was for the wives. Yeah. And the wives were the ones who used to choose the movies that you were going to see. Yeah. So you go back and you look at a lot of these movies, and the female characters are very punchy. Yeah. They're very mischievous. Yeah. And they're very fun because, like, that's a lot of times what women. The women were the ones who were kind of hauling the family out to see the movie. So you had to have a strong representation there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the men, if you go back and look at these movies... Are very uninteresting. Oh wow! They're they're they just. I mean, you know, and sometimes it's not so much as uninteresting as that is that is that like they're exactly who they say they yeah, are. Yeah, and it's like, and to me, that's one of the things I think is very interesting. That's because a lot of times, especially the Hitchcock men, they're quite. You know, I mean, the the the. I mean, I, we're going to talk about it later, but there's a specific movie that to me is the perfect embodiment of this yeah. outside of Vertigo, which is. They kind of don't really have the fortitude to do very much outside of just be charming. Yeah, and but that's I what think makes, that that's a good thing. Oh yeah, because that's I mean, what makes them like, the the leading man too. Because yeah. think about it, and then when I think about them, I think about certain traits that I would want to like yeah. have in a man. Think about it, very stable. Yeah, very, very, very like strong-minded yeah so and that's what his characters were to me that's why i said they weren't they were exactly who they said they were they were straight shooters and they should be because the women are the ones that kind of go off riffraff here and there and then kind of create the kind of really crazy situations and it's the men kind of reel them back into reality and that's how it's like i like that dynamic so i'm like they're exactly who they're supposed to be i like that and the thing that i think is so fascinating about it is that the perception that is oftentimes pushed forward is that it's the total opposite of that. Oh. That all of the women were all just like stable housewives yeah. who didn't really have much of a place. Mm-hmm. I look back at these movies, I'm like the mo- the least interesting character in them to me are usually the men. Yeah. Rod Taylor's the least interesting character in the birds to me. Yeah. Doesn't mean he did bad. Doesn't no. mean his character was bad. No. It just means that he was the least interesting one. He was yeah. the one that if he had died, I would have been like, man, that sucks. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> there wouldn't have been much else. Yeah. But if Tibby Hedron had died, I would have been like, oh man. Yeah. And then when her friend school teacher does die, I am just like, man. Yeah. That that's 
very painful because I loved her character. Oh, me too. And it's like, I love that, you know, especially there's that part where they're sitting out drinking together. Yeah. And she starts explaining how she ended up coming to the island. Yeah. And Tippi Hedren sees that she could end up being exactly like her if yeah. she's not very careful about Which how... Which is really weird dynamic for women because to me, he kind of like, oh my God, he displayed it so perfectly <laughs> because there yeah. was this underlining... Yeah. Thing between them, but yet they could still share like drinks a drink and, and, and kind of drinks together. Almost and, be friends. Yeah, yeah, and conversate, and they seem like friends. Yeah. But there was still this underlining kind of like. She was staying with her. Oh, yeah. But thinking it was a sizing up as well. It was mm-hmm. like this underlining kind of like sizing up, like, oh, you're the woman he wants. Yeah. Or are you the woman he desires? Or are you the. Because she came there for him originally, remember? And she said she just. It never went nowhere and she ended up staying. And one of the things that drove her away from him was his mother. Yep. Yep. So that was very interesting. Yeah, and the, the second that she was gone, suddenly they were friends. They were friends. The she, mother the, got along yeah. with her perfectly yep. well. The second she was out of his life, yep. she was like, but she is actually a very but nice But Timmy Hendry kind of did not let the mom <laughs> no. scare her. Nope. And that's why, you know when they say those things are not for the faint of heart, right? Yeah. Because if you're going to stand your ground and you're going to get what you want, Oh, yeah. you gotta break down the mama. You gotta Absolutely. let her know. Guess what? I'm just as strong as you are. Yeah. I don't give up. I am resilient. Yep. I am persistent. Yep. But you have to have those traits in order to break those barriers. Yep. That's why if you don't have it, no, you're not gonna get. If you can't like deal with the mother, you're not gonna like. You're just not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Yep. So sometimes you actually have to show her that like, oh no, we're not that different. Yeah. <laughs> we're not that different. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, and the fact that, like, you know, you saw that relationship shift over the film. I mean, that was one of the things that we were talking about was that. But you remember Tippi Hedren character mm -hmm. kind of, she started making the mom question things. So that was kind of what I was going to bring up is that that was one of the things we were talking about when we rewatched it this time that I thought was really interesting is that part of what makes the movie good is the fact that the whole first what like hour or so mm-hmm. is a drama yeah it's a family drama mm-hmm. and with a little bit of a comedy mm-hmm. with a little like a comedic bit yes and then by the time you get into the horror mm-hmm. of these birds attacking by mm-hmm. the time we actually get to that point the, the like you said like all of a sudden you start to see the characters change in the face of adversity yeah. where you know like you said the mom is suddenly questioning herself with certain things yeah. the everybody is suddenly starting to listen to each other and mm-hmm. work with each other and see that he, who is there for who. Yeah. And it kind of breaks down all of those petty little yeah. things about how you're going to control your son's life or yeah. how as a son, you're going to just listen too much to mother. I know. And, and all you know of those so... little things start to just separate and fracture and come apart. Oh yeah. And I think one of the questions that was brought up by the mother was the fact that I think she had to experience true like fear and horror by like seeing yeah. the, what happened in that house. Yeah. And that made her, it almost like it opened up that door for like the other fear she has. That's yeah. not maybe quite that um hot physical. Yeah. But it's more the fear of the mind where she's just like, but if he gets a wife, he's not going to come and visit me anymore. Yeah. He's not going to stay the weekend and, and, and I'm not going to have him to do things around the house and yeah. I'm not going to have him. He's going to forget about me. Yeah. You started realizing that that meant that physical Jeez. fear brought her into like that deep psychological mm-hmm. fear. And those are some of the like best yeah. things. Cause that was her, that was the enormous fear was that even though he lived in the city and came mm-hmm. on the weekends was that 
He's going to stop. It, yeah, th- there's going to be that one weekend where he's going to go, sorry, mother, I can't make it. We, you know, my wife and I are, you know, we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And suddenly it's just kind of oh, like... Oh, so she's now more important than me? Or she's now this, and, this, this? And suddenly, the you know, the mother is now put in this position of now she has to figure out what to do with herself mm-hmm. by herself. Yeah, by herself. And yeah. that was the big great fear yeah and like the the fact that they dealt with that so well, well was really really incredible to me one of the things that makes me go like see this is a good case for what we need to get back to a narrative filmmaking yeah not saying that like you need to like go and do you know like oh, yeah, all, yeah. yeah but like just being able to tell a story it's that, that structure yeah, is that being able to structure a story and have characters that are not just and they're multi-layered. They're dynamic. Yep. They're multi-layered they're because people. they're dealing with several not... different things. Like, yes, at the same time, birds are attacking them. They're also dealing with, like, their deepest yeah. fears. Do you get what I'm saying? That's yep. more psychological than it is the the yeah. bird. And you know what I mean? You're presented with characters that are people. Yeah. They're not just archetypes. They're yeah. not just, you know, like, cardboard cutouts that you can put on a lunchbox. Yeah. These are human beings that you mm-hmm. have to get to understand for all of their flaws and all of their frustrations. Yeah, I love them anyway. And you have to love them anyway and yeah. go on a journey with them. And it is, at times, like getting dragged tooth and nail yeah. through, through something. Yeah. But you end up, by the end of it, you know, hopefully, if it's well told, mm-hmm. finding a very deep affection for those characters that's so deep that you want to go and hang out with them again. Yeah, because it's, it's an understanding. It's like, I relate. Yeah. So it's a relation to, so yep. that it that is you know that connection that i think a lot of us have that we don't always exercise with each other is that to some degree we all can relate to each other we act like we can't but yeah we can (laughs) so i know we're running a little long so we'll go ahead and jump into our next one yes uh our next one is psycho yes from 1960 it's written by joseph stefano it's based on a book by robert block stars janet lee anthony perkins vera miles John Gavin and Martin Balsam. Yes. I guess the normal question, do you remember the first time you saw Psycho? Oh man, that one was when I was younger too. But like I said, I saw all I saw a lot of Hitchcock movies when I was younger. I just didn't understand them at the time. Yeah. So I think they didn't fully become part of my like thought process and like what was going on until I was older. Did you know the famous Oh yeah? Before I mean, you had seen the movie, or did you had you already seen the movie and you were able to actually understand it? Yeah, I think I saw from. the movie first because I don't know anybody that would actually like that brought that to my attention before the movie. Yeah. yeah. So like I think I saw the movie first and then that became a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't because I didn't recognize it before. I, so like it was explained to me when I was a kid because of something that we had oh, watched. See, none of that was explained to me. I don't think my parents talked to me about those kinds of movies. <laughs> well, I I don't think it was my I think it was my brother actually. Who told me? See, I am the second oldest. So look, if anybody heard anything, I probably had to say it to them first. You get what I mean? (laughs) My brother is nine years older. It's just the two of us. Yeah. I think we were watching something. I know it wasn't this, but something like Arthur or something. You know, some kids thing where somebody showed up and you heard like, Jing, Jing, Yeah. And somebody explained to me that came from psycho this movie i don't think anybody really explained that to me though i did have like uncles that would like they were into certain things like that so they did explain if i asked but i don't think i like reckon like i said it wasn't recognizable at the time this became though one of the movies that i was the most obsessed with finding a way to see yeah because of something that kept 
coming up around the kitchen table, which was my parents mentioning going to Universal Studios, them mentioning, my brother mentioning it, going to Universal Studios and the Psycho House still being there. That was always a thing. Whenever somebody was over and we were talking about like a trip or they were talking about living in California, it always got brought up. Yeah, you know, Universal is a really cool place to go to because the Psycho House is still there. So it was constantly around. Mm -hmm. And then my dad took my brother to a screening Mm -hmm. of Psycho. It was at the Fox Theater. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Janet Lee was actually there. Mm -hmm. And so they got to talk to her. So then they come home and they're telling all of the stories that Janet Lee told on stage. And Mm so it was just one of those movies that from the time I was like four... And, like, able to consciously recognize anything with movies, all of these names, Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock, Janet Lee, <laughs> Anthony Perkins, all of them were in my head. Yeah. Because it was just that famous of a movie. Yeah. It wasn't really, it's not a favorite of my dad's, it's not a favorite of my brother's. Mm-hmm. Actually, I would probably venture to say it's probably one of the ones of Hitchcock's they like the least at this point. Okay. But... It was a movie that had this importance that was just, it just kind of hung around yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you start getting into horror movies and you start seeing all the horror movies that it influenced before you ever see Psycho itself. Yeah. Friday the 13th being a great example. I think most kids probably see Friday the 13th these days before they, you know, or even when we were young, before they ever see Psycho. Yeah. And Friday the 13th, of course, Jason. Has this whole thing with his, his mother. Mom. Yeah, so it's like that comes from Psycho. <laughs> and then it's a, you look at Halloween. Mm-hmm. There's a very deep reference yep. in there with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yep. Showing up the daughter of e- Janet Lee yep. and Tony Curtis. Yep. Being the final girl of the story. Yeah. Which is in and of itself a very deep reference considering the structure of yeah. Psycho. The first time that you saw the movie or even when you went back and revisited it. Was the structure shocking to you at all? No. The fact that Janet Lee is killed off 20 minutes into the movie, no. but is presented as our main character? No, I didn't think there was nothing shocking about it. But you gotta understand, too, like you're saying it like as if I would ever recognize those things. Yeah. Like, there are just some things that, you know, when it comes to the structure of like how film is or yeah. the, how you tell a story and stuff, yeah. I wasn't so aware of those things. Yeah. So I would not even think that was weird. Yeah. I think it's one of the things that's the most interesting about, for our generation in particular, how the way that TV functioned for us, we were kind of used to things being fragmented. Yeah. A little bit more than the previous generation. Got you. So, from I know like for me, like a good example is like the first time I saw Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I was just kind of like, what's so exciting about the way that it's put together? Yeah. Well, looking at context of movies, that just was super uncommon to see a movie where, you know, the beginning is the end and the next part is kind of the middle. And then yeah, you but go that, to the... that means that's assuming that people know structure. That's assuming and, that people know well, I guess like, the rules and layers around those things. Because if you don't, then no, you don't think about that. Well, it's like, I guess what I mean by that is to say that there was an entire previous generation that said that movie was hard to follow. Okay. You know, or were surprised by Psycho because they went and they saw it and they were like, the twist of the movie was that Janet Lee immediately dies. Yeah. She dies 20 minutes. And that was the big twist that they were like, don't tell anybody. Don't yeah, tell anybody. Yeah, but if you don't even recognize 
what plots and what twists and all those things are. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like you wouldn't recognize that. You wouldn't I see mean, that as I, that. I guess it's like that thing where, you know, it's like um, kind of like anybody who saw The Sixth Sense, they can kind of, if they were not expecting that ending, they can kind of walk out of it and say like, oh, that was crazy. Bruce Willis was dead the entire time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like there's, yeah. there's a registering mm-hmm. that the movie did something that was different Yeah, but from you like asked, normal. was that, it was, it and, was. That's not yeah. the, that's not the issue though. You said, did I recognize those things? Like, did you, did you see anything weird about I, it? I, that, that... I meant like, was that at all shocking to you to see the movie? Yeah. And the I was saying time? no, because yeah. I, w- I didn't even know movie structure. So I yeah. wouldn't even can tell you if that was weird to me. I, I'm not talking about like in terms of like breaking it down analytically. So I know, much but I'm yeah. saying I wouldn't even recognize it when I don't know what it is. I'm even yeah. watching. Like yeah. if I don't know anything about like how anything is done, I wouldn't even recognize it. To me, it's just a story being told. Yeah. Like I wouldn't think it was weird that yeah. she got killed off first, but she's the main character. I, that didn't even recollect. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Like yeah. that doesn't even like register with my mind. Yeah. I just see a woman who died in the beginning. That doesn't register with my mind. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm trying to yeah. say. <laughs> it doesn't register. I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Well, I know that like, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting thing because like, it is interesting to see how people do and don't react to it. Because, yeah. It's like, I don't think that a lot of people from our generation did actually react very much to that being a piece of it because of the fact that we are used to stories being fragmented anyway. Yeah. So we are used to just seeing something unfold. Yeah. Be like, all right. Yeah. About all of it. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's what I mean. Like, was, what would you think about yeah, it? That, like, there's nothing to think about. When, if I don't know, I have no yeah. knowledge or intellect with any kind of storytelling, yeah. what it involves, if a main character should or shouldn't die off yeah. early, if they, you get what I'm saying? If there's nothing behind yeah. it, you know, how would it be weird? And, and like, that's the thing that's kind of interesting to me is because that's why I use the Pulp Fiction thing as an example. Yeah. Is to say that the first time that I saw that movie, I didn't get why in terms yeah. of anything people were saying that was hard to But follow. that means those people have had some and, acknowledgement of what well, those stories look like and what the structure and telling I, the story is. That means they had knowledge of it. So you I don't have no knowledge. You yeah, it's know. like, I don't really think it was so much that as much as it is like just what an audience is accustomed to. At any given time. Yeah, but that means there's still knowledge because there means if you're accustomed to something, that means you now see a type, you see a through line, you see a basis. If you don't have any reference to that basis, you wouldn't know that it was changed or it was different or weird. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. And and I think that was the thing that was maybe quite interesting about this movie is that when it came out. Yeah. The lines that were wrapped around the block to see the movie that went and saw it were just like, why? I don't understand. Yeah. It was so horrifying to them. Yeah. To see, like, wh- why are you playing with us like that? And these are average audience members that don't know how to break down or analyze the yeah. movie. They're just confused. Yeah. They're just deeply confused and shocked because yeah. how do you kill this person off immediately? Yeah. The thing that I think is very interesting, the reason I bring that up is because while I never understood the shock and awe of it at the time, mm-hmm. I now look back at it. Now, when I watch it, and I find that to be quite disturbing, oh. that we are introduced to this character, she's built up for us, only for us then to have this very specific scene in the movie with Anthony Perkins mm-hmm. after she meets him. Mm-hmm. Of course, from when he first kills her, we're not supposed to know that that's Anthony Perkins that's mm-hmm. dressed up as his yeah. mom. And then he pushes the car into the tar pits, and the car is sinking, and it stops sinking for a second. Mm-hmm. And when it stops sinking for a second, you just can't help but just be like, Ugh! and get tense. Yeah. And that to me is what now makes me think about that reveal being so shocking. 
See, the fact and for that, me to this day still, I I don't see the shocking part of it. Mm-hmm. Not at all, honestly. Yeah. That's why I said like, no matter how you see, if you're accustomed to something, that means now there's a now yeah. there's like a like a knowledge of or like because you're used to something, yeah. which means you recognize it. Yeah. But if you don't even recognize it, how can you find anything out of yeah. the ordinary if you don't even recognize? what's normal or what people usually do yeah but like i say even now even though i know like different structures and 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 i know those plots and twists and stuff of stories i still find nothing weird about that i have to admit i find nothing weird about it i I don't really find anything weird about it so much as i find what i find about it is quite disturbing is the fact that they can build you into having hitchcock is so good at building you into having sympathy for this woman where you kind of understand why she's doing what she's doing you kind of get her taking this money and taking off because it's like, I don't know, especially with inflation right now. I mean, that kind of makes a lot of sense yeah. in, in its own way. Not saying that it's okay to do, yeah, but just saying that like, you know, you can kind of see her perspective and you know where she's coming from with everything. And then to have you suddenly side with the killer for a split second, completely subconsciously. Yeah. Where there's suddenly a moment of complete tension. Yeah. Of her murdered body not sinking. Yeah. Which <laughs> is sometimes, to me quite shocking. That's what I find a little more um, interesting yeah. about the thing. It's, if I could be honest, it's, it's less about her and more about him. Yeah. In the sense of the fact that I think that's why I, I think nothing of it, of her being killed off. Because to me, it's it's less about her and more about him. Like, why did you do it? Yeah. Why is this necessary? Yeah. You get what I'm saying? I, I didn't think so much about her because she did exactly what, you know, you would see someone do. Like, she stole and she had to take off. Yeah. So why would you stay, you know, why would you stay where you stole it? <laughs> like, why would you stay there? Yeah. So if you're trying to, like, leave and start a new life and do all that stuff, like, why wouldn't you take off? So, and then... If you just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, why wouldn't you die? You get what I'm saying? So to me, it was more about him. It was like, oh, but like you see this as someone that you now have to kill. Oh, you see her as someone. You get what I'm saying? Like to me, it was more about his psychological problems because the moment he felt something for her or the moment like she had a certain look and he like now he wants to murder her. Like, do you get what I'm saying? Like for me, it was more about his mind frame. I like I thought nothing about her so much as it's him. It was like his frame of mind because she kind of did what you everybody do, but not everybody thinks, oh, now let me kill this one. So for me, it was more about him. Well, it's like we are now, especially for us in our age group, more accustomed to seeing stories that are about probing the mind of a killer than we are necessarily about seeing a story in which a killer is present. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's just that simple. Yeah, yeah. A killer is present. It's not yeah. about probing into his mind. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the thing that I think is the least interesting about the movie is the ending. It's the one thing that... Oh, yeah, the reveal. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the uh, very end when the psychiatrist comes out... Yeah. And starts explaining everything. Yeah. That, to me, is the one thing that keeps this movie from being a perfect film. Yeah. But, see, but you, as the audience that's looking at it, to me, that is, yeah, it ruins the film itself. But I'm saying in the beginning, when I see it happening, I'm wondering what he just answered. So, yeah, yeah, it kind of, it can be like, oh, like once you get to that part. But that doesn't mean I'm thinking about it any less. Like, oh, like yeah. you get what it's, I mean? Like, I, it's still presently in my mind. I'm thinking about what is making him do this. Yeah. Like, what is going on with his life? Like, what happened? Yeah. 
Like you're thinking about those things. So I, I have to say, I'm thinking less about her, more about why he's yeah. even doing it. Like what put him in the mind frame to kill this woman? Yeah. And that's one of the things I think is, is very interesting about it is that, like I said, you know, it's like, we're so used to just having these movies like seven. Yeah. Where it's like the whole movie is about probing into the mind of somebody like Norman Bates. Yeah. It's, it's not at all I about. I mean, yeah, but don't you, I guess there's a part of my mind that works like more psycho. Cause yeah. You know, I've always had an interest with like psychology yeah. and things like that. So my interest is in it's just like, what are you thinking? Yeah, because what I, she did was not out of the norm, but what he did is. I think it's one of the the most fascinating things to me that, like, I enjoy when movies do that. Don't get me wrong, because yeah. I love Seven and Silence of the Lambs and Zodiac, and mm-hmm. I still really want to check out Reptile, which mm-hmm. is uh, you know up now. And like, yeah, it's like I like all those movies. Prisoners was another really good one that I see is like on all the streaming sites but like yeah stuff is really interesting to me i love it but i think the thing that kind of has gotten lost with exception of the genre that this movie wound up kind of giving us were like slasher movies Mm -hmm. and you know we even watched one intruder you know the scott spiegel Mm -hmm. movie that we watched you know it's like that's kind of the whole genre that came out of psycho Mm -hmm. were just slasher movies Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I think is very interesting about Psycho, when I go back to it, is the fact that I rarely ever see a movie now about a killer in which I'm actually afraid of the killer mm-hmm. in any context. Mm-hmm. I'm usually, like you said, I'm fascinated by it, but why? Mm-hmm. And that's such an interesting kind of thing that ended up happening to me. When I go back and I rewatch the movie, the thing that kind of disturbs me a little bit is that you do when you suddenly when Hitchcock makes you side with Norman for a second and makes you question but you don't oh okay you, so I mean I guess that's your take on it I'm about to say to me it's not that I'm siding to me you know what my take is it's another psychological thing it was like if I were in that position it's not a siding though because well, to me thing, siding like, with him is like saying I agree and no, I no, don't no. but I, it's putting yourself in a position yeah. that's saying if I were in that, yes, I would want the car to sink because I don't yeah. want to get caught. Yeah. If I was in there, and, I would want this. And that's if the thing I, that, but it, it's not a sight. But I, that's the thing that I think, however it is that you want to like put it in terms of words, I mean, maybe I didn't like say the words correctly, but like that exactly that. Yeah. That's the thing that I think is maybe the most fascinating and the most horrifying about the movie is yeah. the fact that he actually allows you to put yourself in the place of the killer. Yeah. But you've just spent all this time with this woman and seen her murdered in the shower. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're putting yourself in the... So you were able to put yourself in her place for a minute. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden you're able to put yourself in the place of the killer. Mm-hmm. That is extremely disturbing to me to think about. That yeah. you can suddenly find yourself putting yourself in the yeah. place of... But if I had killed this woman, but you've just spent all this time with her. Yeah. That to me is what makes the movie yeah. have a lasting power and still very scary to me got you so i mean i get it like i understand what you're saying but yes that's why i said i was more fascinated by him because i'm like if, if there's nothing fascinating about someone yeah who dies yeah but it's kind of more fascinating yeah. about a person who's doing the job because you're like what is going through your head yeah you're more driven by what he's thinking than yeah then her because like now she can't think or feel anything like she's yeah. dead so it's just like her life ends her story is done yeah so you're just like why is he like this and because you 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 you're alone for the ride with him why did him kill her 
then watching him get rid of the body, then yeah. watching him get rid of the car, you start to go, oh my gosh, if I was in that position, what yeah. would happen? So that's why I said that was more yeah. interesting to me in that perspective. Because I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering like, because you see that he is making mistakes, yeah, right? And we yeah. all know that if you make mistakes, that's the first thing that's going to get you caught. So yeah. that's why I say it's not so much exciting as if just putting yourself in yeah. those shoes. Like, I like if I saw somebody doing this and then like he's making so many, you see so many errors and mistakes that you're like, dude, you're going to get caught. Yeah. You're going to get caught. Yeah. Like, and that's fascinating. That's the part. It's like, you're yeah. about to get caught because you're yeah. not even doing this well. Yeah. So I think that's what I was more like, just that's what drove me into the movie was that yeah. aspect. Yeah. And it's, it, it is like, it is incredibly interesting how you can take something that if you, if you just break down all of these different elements, like, all these things are very frightening, terrifying things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think that it, it's all of the different things that make a good case for why this movie is still an actual scary movie. Yeah. Because we've we've done a lot with this movie over the years where it's like you have different iterations of it. There's the Richard Franklin, Psycho 2. There was, you know, the Norman Bates directed Psycho. I mean, Norman Bates directed. Anthony, <laughs> Anthony Perkins directed Psycho 3. There was Bates Motel. Yeah. There was, in which... They even retell this story with Rihanna playing Marion Crane. Yeah. And you kind of lose what was terrifying about this movie. Because it is a very scary movie when you really break it down. Yeah. You lose what was scary about it by having all of these years of kind of turning yeah. this genre into but look, something else. Think about that know? same example. It's the same like th- storyline that they did even with like... What was called? Like My Hunter or whatever it was yeah. called? Yeah, My Hunter. You remember? Because... The same thing was, remember, he had that thing with his mother and he killed her. But I was never wondering about her. I wondered about what made you do it. Yeah. What was that connection that made you think that now women is who you have to start killing because of a basis that started with your mom? Yeah. Like it was a, it's such a weird thought process Very, that I'm trying to understand it. What was so the, that's more interesting. What was the, the Anthony Jesselnik joke was... Uh, Imagine how hot Freud's mom must have been. <laughs> yes. Yes, because you weren't thinking about the mother. Yeah. You're thinking about why he killed the mother. Yeah. So it was just kind of like, that's why I said, so that's the more interesting aspect. It's like, yeah. what? Absolutely. I'm not thinking about the dead mom. I'm thinking about why he killed her. Yeah. Um, I know we're running really, really long. So oh, let's yeah, go ahead are. and like wrap it up with the last yes. film of really our, quick. our um, which is maybe my all-time favorite Hitchcock movie. Uh-huh. Rear Window. Oh, yeah. My favorite as well. 1954, uh, written by John Michael Hayes, uh, based on a, a story called um, It Had to Be Murder by Cornell Woolrich, Woolrich sorry, uh, starring Jimmy Stewart, Grace Kelly, Thelma Ritter, uh, Wendell Corey, and of course, Raymond Burr. And then once again, it's about in the mind of the killer. Like, I never wondered anything about his wife. I wonder, like, why he killed her. So this one is really <laughs> interesting because to me... What makes this one interesting is how counterintuitive it is to me to yeah. what Psycho did. Yeah, and but it was more un- was like you can before, you but- can comprehend it better to me than Psycho because Psycho had a whole psychology behind it yeah. where this man was like, "Oh, my wife is nagging me. She's getting on my nerves. She's sickly. Yeah. I don't want to deal with her." Boom, she's dead. And what, to me, what made this one very fascinating is that to me, this one was dreadfully suspenseful. Like where you're on the edge of your seat. Especially at the end of this movie, mm-hmm. when Grace Kelly breaks into the apartment, mm-hmm. from that point to the end, it's kind of like hard to take a breath because yeah. it is just such a nonstop ride of suspense. Mm-hmm. 
but you're this one is sort of you almost like if Janet Lee had shown up at the Norman Bates house and started uncovering the secrets yeah, of his mother he, oh, rather than getting killed at the very yeah, front of the movie. I get it, yeah. This movie, instead, you're in a totally different position. You're, and this is kind of what I was talking about, you're stuck with a guy who is just kind of put in this position where he's literally trapped. Yeah. He's literally trapped he in one place. He has to go, yeah. And it's a great metaphor for him as a human mm-hmm. and for him in his life mm-hmm. that he's also just very stuck, stuck. in yeah. one place mm-hmm. going like, mm, you know, I, I know, but I have what I'm used to and that's what I like. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not changing it. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything about it. No, I'm not changing yeah. it. Yeah. And then he has... Grace Kelly come in. He has Thelma, these two very strong women mm-hmm. in this story with him who are coming in and kind of, you know, really kind of changing all of that and breaking the cast, so yeah. to speak, to get him into something else. Yeah. Not really realizing that breaking this cast means that they indirectly help him with this deep obsession that he has that something is wrong with the neighbor. Yeah, but at the same time, he, he draws them in as well oh, at the same time. Because absolutely. he's like, this is what I see. And then he just, he draws them in. So, like, that was the funny aspect of everything as yeah. well. It's like, he draw, he drew them in just as much as they, like, allowed him to obsess about these things. Yep. <laughs> because yep. then they become, become obsessive. Yep. So all of that poured on onto them like it was so funny to see that trickle down (laughs) yeah it was and it is uh it's one of the movies also of his that he made that like i has my favorite atmosphere Mm -hmm. just that summer Mm -hmm. rainy Mm -hmm. atmosphere and also like summer nights summer Mm -hmm. nights with your windows up Mm -hmm. Uh, the whole atmosphere of that movie is just something that i absolutely adore and it's like it's kind of a movie it's one of the rare films that you see you just kind of want to live in you just kind of want to just, even despite how, you know, tense it is or how horrible it might be that Thorwall killed his wife and buried her in the garden and then had to kill the dog to stop from digging, digging up the evidence. So, but if you notice, like when we speak of Psycho or Mindhunters or, or even the man in, um, Rear window. And rear window. All of them just end up having some type of like breakdown. They do. And they, they definitely, they. it's also a, a common thread that they all have women problems. Yep. It's all women problems. And it, it also makes it very, very interesting that there is a moment in the movie that actually, in my opinion, speaks very deeply to a lot of the themes of the film when um, the uh, Miss Lonely Hearts yeah. is down there. Yeah. And... She's with this guy. Mm-hmm. They're both kind of drunk, and the guy pushes way too far. Yeah, and it's this weird little insight into how Thorwald killed his wife. Yeah, it's this weird little insight into that that is mm-hmm. like, if they're married and the same thing happens, yeah, do you eventually snap? Yeah. Now she's just dating this guy. She brings him over. She's able to kick him out of the house, mm-hmm. and it has a totally different effect for her. Mm-hmm. But is that the same scenario that happened with Thorwald? Yeah. That was an interesting thing. And that goes back to the thing of, like, even why, how did they meet? How did they get married? Why did they get married? Yeah. What was their dynamic like before? I'm pretty sure there was, like, red flags. Yeah. She ignored it. Yep. (laughs) So, because isn't that always how those things happen? Like, there's red flags from the beginning. You just ignore them because you're so, like, 
enamored and deeply in love and yeah. you know what I mean so you kind of like I heard someone once say your red flags turn to pink because yeah. Yeah. you're so in love that like the red flags aren't so yeah. in your face anymore they 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 faded into pink yeah so um I'm pretty sure there were red flags before that and of course that led to her death because yep. she turned her red flags to pink yep <laughs> I would uh, also say too, like it's like a quick aside, is that like uh, if anybody really loves Rear Window and wants to see essentially Rear Window on a highway with Jamie Lee Curtis, what? Uh, you should check out a movie called Road Games, Australian film directed by uh, Richard Franklin, who wound up directing Psycho Two. He was kind of considered the Australian Hitchcock. Yeah. He made this movie called Road Games, and essentially what it was is he went to his writer and said, go and watch Rear Window, and I want to do that. And his writer came back and had Rear Window that took place on a highway. Yeah. With a trucker. Oh, and yeah. And it is, Stacey Keach is actually the lead. A oh, very young Stacey Keach. okay. And it is a fantastic film. Okay. But, um, yeah, I highly recommend if people want to spend their October... Uh, watching some great thrilling movies, but don't necessarily want to sit down and watch horror films yeah. in, with a big capital H. Yeah, uh, Peacock has a bunch of Hitchcock mm-hmm. on there, and I think a bunch of other streaming services have his stuff on there too. Yes, and just like the title of our episode, they're atypical scares. They are atypical scares because they're <laughs> still thrilling. Yep, they're still scary, but they are not what we are used to in movies like The Conjuring. Yeah. Even though we threw in some typical ones, but we definitely did. But yeah, these are kind of like the ones that I I really really enjoyed. This was kind of like a great reason to do this episode was just to talk about Hitch for a few minutes. Yeah, which I was surprised that we did. Now we taking so long, we have to kind of cut it short. Yeah, because we went on a lot of rants about a different thing. Yeah, we did. But (laughs) it was still funny because I'm like, this was I I assume this was going to be one of our shortest episodes. And it ended I did being too. Long. It ended up being one of our the longer longest, ones. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I hope that everybody enjoyed. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I'm great. Awesome. <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed this one. And um, we are going to talk about some upcoming fall movies. Not upcoming fall movies, but we're going to talk about some fall movies. Mm-hmm. That are not horror oriented. That yeah. is very exciting. So we'll, we kind of have that on the horizon. Yeah. But um, I hope everybody enjoyed. And I'm Scott. And I'm Brittany. And this is the film Cafeteria. Mm-hmm.